Hello again, friends. Welcome to My Back 40 and the My Back 40 podcast. I'm your host, Steve O'Shaughnessy. You know, it just occurred to me, I've asked people before in the past, um, or they've asked me, it's like, well, what the fuck does My Back 40 mean? It's like your back hurts over 40. And um, more and more and more people, I think I meet, know what, what I'm trying to put down. But the way the way My Back 40 kind of emerged was was wanted to start my own podcast and I was thinking about I wanted to be cycling related and I wanted to be um kind of just share like when people ask me you know where did you ride and oftentimes I'm just like I don't know I ride all over the places ride in my backyard my back 40 that's kind of what it's about so welcome to my back 40 welcome to my backyard I had a wonderful experience in the backyard yesterday actually I went for a been single speeding a little bit and then you know the weekend I had some time I had hours to to kill and um I uh, decided I was just gonna go on a take a ride on the rig I haven't really ridden uh timber since since whitefish so I think she's feeling a bit lonely I wanted to give her some attention I want to make her feel loved so yeah but what sucks actually tangent what sucks is that i have like a set of bags and if depending on the bike i run sometimes i need to run move bags back and forth man some those revelate feed bags to put them like to take one side off and put another side on and connect them via you know around the stem it's such a pain in the ass man can't get the velcro through those straps i'm, I'm sure they have a different setup now but <clears throat> um yeah so i moved all my bags over one for a ride and you know i just rode around the valley as i often do so i did like from Invermere to Radium on the gravel there and encountered a big herd of cattle. So I'd stop and actually I'll tell a story. So I, there's this, I, I talked to the rancher, I pull up and uh, oh, I can't remember his name. 83 years old Swiss dude. It might, might, might've been the uh, Furland, Furland's ranch guy, but anyway, 83. And I don't know how he got on the subject of age, but he's like, I'm 83. I don't drink. I don't smoke. Fuck, if I can be getting after it like that dude is at 83, like like, like rustling cattle, you know, he's got a whole team of people, but he's the guy doing <laughs> doing the work, you know? Just awesome. But um, yeah, I went around and then grabbed some pizza and radium. I was really like party pacing the ride <laughs> a little bit. I pushed a little bit. I don't know where my stats are. <clears throat> but yeah, I had some pizza. I kept riding. I got back to Invermere and I needed to uh, hit the bike shop quick. And then I was like, you know what? I might want to do another 50. It, the day was beautiful. I love riding in the fall. I have a tattoo on my leg that represents my, my love of riding in the autumn. It's the temperature and the, the, the beauty of the, especially out here um, in the valley. There's just, you know, in the fall, there's not, it's not like Eastern Canada kind of colors, but it's, you know, it's just the gold and the yellows and the, um, it's just really, really pretty to ride the valley. So it's like, you know what, I'm going to keep going. So I did. And then, so the second half was basically just all pavement. <clears throat> just because I didn't want to think too much about it. So yeah, I got down to Fairmont. That's like, I don't know, 75 K in. And uh, I'm sitting there and all I wanted to be was home. I was kind of on the fence about doing the other 50 because... You know, there's other ways I could be spending my time. Like, I could have been doing this yesterday. But then I wouldn't have a story to tell, I suppose. So, um, it was it was a good it was a good ride in that. It was super fun and beautiful. But then, near the end, I was just kind of getting, ugh. I just 
it's good mental exercise. Um, and I was thinking about it cause I don't, I don't officially train for, <laughs> for endurance events. Um, my schedule is too fucked for that, but, but it's often those times when you're on the fence and you're not sure if you want to do the extra distance, um, do the extra distance. If you're on the fence, just keep going. If there's no reason pulling you back that you have to go home. I mean, like I said, I could have been doing this, this yesterday, but <clears throat> kind of weighing out the options. It seemed nicer to be on the bike and that's the thing. So if you're on the fence about it, do the thing that's going to, going to test you or, you know, even bring you more joy. I was in the state when I left in Vermeer that it was going to feel, Oh, this is great. It's so joyful. And, and, uh, but then I was too deep in, right. So that's a really good mental exercise for endurance racing, because there's going to be times when you're out there riding your bike and you've already done hundred K or 150 K or more, you've already done that distance. And there's this piece in you that's just like, fuck man, I just wish I wasn't, wasn't here right now. And it's like, um, you have nowhere else to be, so take a break, you know? And that's what I did yesterday. I took lots of breaks and it was really, I think I had a, a six hour moving time or five, just under six hours maybe. But it was like, I left at one. I got home at like nine, right? So it was like an eight hour day of just being outside, being in nature, being on the bike. There were a couple moments where I just like, oh, no, I'm not, I'm just going to take the highway back in this section and I'll skip the single track. But yeah, I just went in and, and did all the two track. Not a lot of single track, but um, yeah, I'll just go and jump on the two track, like whatever, just keep moving. <laughs> so it was a good exercise yesterday, but I'm really beat today. So I'm glad I'm, I'm hanging out with you guys <laughs> because I don't really want to ride my bike right now. Got too much shit going on, too much to do. But um, I think what was, <clears throat> so that, that was something I kind of learned on that ride. But also just going back to the the 83-year-old rancher, it's like, you know, um, just got to keep moving That's the best you can. Like, um, I was talking to a friend the other day who said, you know, I know so many, so many 52 year old men that, that, you know, can't, can barely get off the floor. <laughs> and it's, it's like those, those longevity things, right? Like, um, gotta, gotta keep moving in different ways to make sure that we can keep moving when we're like that when you're 83 years old, climbing up and down into, into tractors and shit. Anyway, we'll go on about that, but yeah, it, it kind of. It was a really cool human connection. And then the other connection I got, the guy looked out of his truck and he's like, oh, is that an e-bike? I'm always so bothered when people look at my bike and they call it, oh, is that an e-bike? It's like, no, actually, this is a real bike. <laughs> oh, man. It just made me laugh. I don't know. Um, it, it made me laugh more because I get so worked up about it. I've had a lot of e-bike experience um, conversations lately and <clears throat> I used to be pretty anti e-bike, but then, you know, there's people like my friend Katrina Rosen, who's kind of busted up and, and can't really, she's got some lower leg issues that she's dealing with and she can't really ride a bike. So it's nice that she can get out there and do that. And when I was at the bike shop, um, was it Friday night after a ride, I came back. Oh, that's a bit of a story. Came back and, um, rolled, uh, rolled down to the lake. Um, and then was riding, through town and I was like, oh, I wonder if Lakeside Bikes is open this Friday. Sometimes they're hanging around. And I rolled through the front door and they're all watching Rampage. So I just kind of like stumbled into this this situation and Matt's like, I was like, Steve, oh, come in. And I came in and hung out and man, you know, Matt and Mark at Lakeside Bikes, they're doing a really good job there. So if you're in Invermere, please go to Lakeside Bikes. That was a very spontaneous, impromptu 
kind of ad. But, you know, Matt supports me here at the podcast. So, you know, please go by if you're in, in Invermere, um, winter or summer. So, uh, yeah, check it out. So we we did the Rampage thing, which is fucking incredible. Like, I don't know, maybe most of you are are, are into the Red Bull Rampage thing. Um, it's, a, it's a totally um, crazy experience to watch these humans doing this shit on bikes. Like, there's so many flavors of cycling, you know? Oh, man, this is spawning a whole other fucking tangent. Um, there, there's so much... Um, um, there's so many different uh, flavors, right? Doesn't matter. You know them all. And and when you pull yourself out of your own, like my world is mostly just you know solo single track distance, blah blah blah. And I'm not really around riding around people very often. <clears throat> Yet I do feel very connected to all of you in the community. So I do have this great community. Maybe that's why it's easier for me to to ride by myself. But um, I digress. <laughs> the 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 talent. And the uh, mental fortitude of these athletes who are getting on bikes and riding down sheer cliffs or was, was it Tom? Um, I'm super not into all the, the riders names. Um, I can't remember, but he did like a caveman drop off the top. Like it must've been 10 or 15 feet into like a, I don't know how steep that slope was. I don't know, like 50% or something. I don't know, even more, but, but just, just the, and then waiting for the wind because you know they're they're doing these these this big shit that they're wind affected and it can mean their lives right so it, it was really fun to watch that shit and um yeah there were a couple of pretty bad crashes but i think they all came out of it in one piece um but yeah it was cool to hang out at the bike shop and then we got to talking about about e-bikes and and just the technology and kind of the way it opens up um <clears throat> terrain for people and distances for people who can't ordinarily do that kind of riding. Um, and uh, someone said something really interesting too, that, that it's just like, um, I think it was McKinley. He was saying it's not, it's, it's a, it's, it's a bike, but it's a different thing. It's, it's like, you know, mountain biking is this or, you know, you know, analog biking is this and then e-biking is this. And then, so it's just, all it's done is add another flavor and I, I do sometimes poo-poo on, on e-bikes in terms of, um, I think, you know, if you're healthy enough to to get out there and do it, just ride an analog bike, I think it's it would just be healthier. But I do get the idea of, like, putzing around all day um, and being, being able to ride amazing terrain and climbs that you wouldn't be doing and doing, like, double the distance and et cetera, et cetera. Um, but yeah, it was it was a good it was a good conversation. Um, you know, truth be told, it would be fun to have have an e bike for a week, but I'd be afraid that I would never go back because I've ridden a couple of them and it's giggly fun. Um, I just yeah, I'd be afraid I wouldn't go back. So I think I want to try to keep riding bikes till I'm eighty three and I can't do it anymore, and then maybe get an e bike. I don't know. I used to ride trials bikes in Squamish, so I kind of get the idea of you know, mountain biking with a motor because that's what trials biking is, pretty much. Um, so, so yeah, I get it if I relate it in that way, but yeah, so, um, I kind of lost my train of thought, but I think the point I was trying to make is community, right? Like I think what's, what's, it, there's a bit of a balance to it because I do get kind of snubbed. Like when I'm out riding my bike, I get snubbed by people. Like if, if a car goes by and it's got a bunch of trail bikes on the back, I wave, I pretty much wave at everybody. 
and they'll they'll just stare at me or ignore me. I, I find it really weird. That happened a lot yesterday, actually. Or, you know, riding along the Legacy Trail and um, a couple gravel riders went by. Um, I mean, they're on a climb, I knew. But it's just, you know, hey, how's it going, guys? And they just get a kind of a weird attitude back sometimes. But, and I know there's all these memes about the, the, um, the, um, the conflict <laughs> between different riding groups, like mountain biking, gravel, and road, and enduro, and fucking <laughs> downhill. There's all these flavors. We're all fucking riding bikes, man. It's like, it doesn't matter. I can go rip some single track as well, but right now I'm it's not the goal today. I'm out riding my my RV around touring the valley. I don't know. I just, <clears throat> I sense a bit of that sometimes. It's it's kind of unfortunate. But, you know, what was cool is I could go into Lakeside and it's all, you know, I, I was maybe the only kind of endurance guy there, I guess, you know. Um, I'm not riding over ridges or, you know, anyway. The, the group of guys, that were, they were pretty hardcore mountain bikers. So I, I felt a little out of place. The old school dude coming in on his 12-year-old single speed. I felt like that guy. <laughs> The older guy in town, you know, that, that kook, that kooky guy that comes in all the time. That's why I feel like that guy now. Um, but uh, it was cool to watch Rampage with, with those folks. But yeah, the community there was just so, it was so wicked. I was so uh, happy that I could just kind of step into that environment and see people I've ridden with and, and just all experience the, the circus that is Red Bull Rampage, right? It was really cool. But it got me thinking too about, you know, the the van lifer, um, Anne-Marie, podcast i put out just a little while ago you know the the having having to be more having now that i'm more connected to the this van community it's it's cool man it's it's like the same it's the same everyone just wants to help and encourage each other um i mean a lot of these people are working remotely and they've taken this this step into a a new lifestyle a nomadic lifestyle that um, but, but everyone around, they, they, they congregate a lot and they ride bikes together and, you know, just do shit together, hiking and, and, and then they'll, they'll, they'll all just disappear. Poof. They'll just be all in their own different directions, but then they keep in touch. So they always get in touch with one another. So I just think it's rad. There's all these different communities and I think there's all this intersection that we're not even aware of, right? We're not even aware of a lot of the ways, you know, um, van life, for instance, um, interface with uh with mountain biking or bike packing there there's a there's a definite a definite connection there and for me it was you know when abby and Anne marie were in town um you know they wanted a hot shower so it's kind of like the warm showers of the van life i've become a little bit so people who are living in a van when you're in invermere look me up <laughs> i'll be happy to to let you do some laundry and have a shower in my place so uh yeah, I thought that was cool kind of the last couple of weeks, just being a lot more involved in community and thinking a lot more about that and how supportive, you know, our different groups can be to one another and encouraging people and, and sharing information like, and I think it's the same with ultra running. One of my colleagues, well, it is the same with ultra running. One of my colleagues at work, she'll come in and, and often tell me what she did on the weekend because I might be the only one there that can really understand what she's doing. Like going for a, like a 50 K run or an 80 K run. Um, I get it. I totally get it. Although I think that they're I often think they're more super, super heroic than bike packers. Cause when I think about running just to the store, I'm like, fuck, <laughs> fuck that. I'll take my bike. Anyway, it's funny. 
Um, so yeah, there's a huge community around that as well, right? And 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 so to be able to intersect intersect with other people of other disciplines and still be able to relate to them, like I could go talk to some. I thought about I thought about reaching out. I tried to get Kyle straight on. Um, so if anyone listens to this and knows how to get a hold of him, I often I should just try to DM him and see if he'd come on. But I just I like that guy's attitude, and he's kind of like a veteran in the sport, and he's still getting after it. But um, yeah, I, I could sit down and talk to that guy and we'd have so many parallels in terms of like mental fortitude and, and training and mindset and all that stuff. It's, 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 uh, it's a Venn diagram, right? It all just intersects at some point. So yeah, I just want to talk about the community thing for a while. You know what I wanted to do as well is acknowledge the people um, in the last three months who have signed up for uh, Dynamic Cyclist. When you support one of my sponsors, it helps me in the end. It saves you money because you can use the code MB40 to save 25% on a, their programs. Um, this is turning into an ad, sorry. So, you know, stretching, mobility, strength. Uh, there's there's coaching programs on there. There's injury prevention. There's all sorts of stuff and it runs, you know, there's an app on your phone. So you can go to the Dynamic Cyclist app. You have access to all this stuff. So MB40, save you 25%. So when you sign up with them, then you help me indirectly Right. Um, and they've been uh, one of the, if not the um, longest running sponsor of the show. And I couldn't be more grateful to, to Dynamic Cyclists. They're a great company. And I think they're really doing good shit by putting this information out there. It doesn't cost a lot and it'll make you feel better on the bike. You'll be healthier for it. So for everyone who's signed up for that, thank you so much for supporting the MyBack40 podcast. It means a lot. I've been plugging away at the, I'm hoping to start reading um, another chapter of Divide by Two Wheels. I want to do that today. Today's recording day because I did my 100K yesterday and I'm going to sit on the fucking couch all day <laughs> and hit the mic. Um, so uh, if you want to uh, get a hold of that book, uh, I got the permission of Michael Devitt, Michael J. Devitt, who's the author of this book, Divide by Two Wheels. He gave me permission to record it um, so I've been, I've, I've been dragging my feet a little bit. I also have a bit of a cold, so I'm being mindful around my, uh, voice consistency as I'm reading through the book. Um, so we'll see. But, um, if you want to get access to that audiobook, you need to sign on to my Patreon, patreon.com slash myback40 at the $10 per month level. And I'm really going to work hard to get chapters out as much as I can. And, uh, and then in the end, I'd like to basically create push it all together and create a, an audiobook from it. And, um, I need to talk to Michael about that obviously, but, um, it's, it's a fantastic book and I'm really excited to share it. So, uh, if you want to do that, if you're at my $5 level, um, you'll get early access to podcasts and also to my, um, uh, video, uh, my tour 2022 tour divide video journal. I'm kind of slowly, propagating that with with videos just of my my experience and um yeah and then at the three three dollar per month level you'll get access to the video and not the early access podcast this podcast is different this current one that i'm talking on now this one i'm going to put out to the public right away i don't want to wait um, i'm a bit late for one and two it's a really important conversation so i really wanted to put it out asap um so that'll happen from time to time so uh, even at the $5 level, there'll be the odd podcast that I'll make publicly available right away if it's um, if it's important. And uh, this, like I said, this one is. 
So those are the ways you can support the podcast. You can also just uh, write me a review and give me a rating on your favorite listening platform. That really helps um, tweak the algorithms to make me a bit more popular. <laughs> and I think I'm putting good shit out there. And I'm really happy that you're listening to this one. So this podcast is with Louis-Philippe Landry. Um, probably pronouncing that wrong. I tried to put a little bit of a Francais onto there. But uh, yeah, LP, LP Landry. Uh, we had a great conversation. So he's a psychotherapist and leadership coach at Overcome Cafe. So check that out. You can find him on LinkedIn. You can also find him on Instagram, LP Landry underscore Overcome Cafe. So please give him a follow. Uh, yeah, like I said, this conversation I, I really enjoyed and I wanted to put it out right away um there's some some just awesome philosophies being shared back and forth here and i just really really enjoyed it of course as always um last couple podcasts i've been putting out it's been interesting because i've been going in fairly cold um and what's tends to happen is is the 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 intro into the podcast of just the meet and greet it has been just so much fun and it's it's just a blast i'm really glad i can share it with you but yeah, we talked for about 20 minutes just about, you know, our backgrounds and we have a lot, a lot of parallels in our lives. So it's, uh, it, it made the conversation super enjoyable. And so I wanted to get it out there right away. And uh, yeah, I hope you dig it. So without further delay, I bring you Louis-Philippe Landry. Um, glad we connected, finally. Me too. It took a little bit of time, hey, but that's okay. Some things are worth, yeah. the, worth the wait. I know, eh? Where are you located? And Ottawa. Oh. I actually live uh, near to probably a common acquaintance, uh, Chris Bernarski. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Chris lives like three streets from me. Oh, shit. That's funny, <laughs> eh? Such a small world. <laughs> it is a small world. It, 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 it's such a cyclist town, too. So, yeah. Did you know that I'm from Deep River, Ontario? No, I didn't know. Yeah, I was born and raised there. Really? So what brought you to mid-Canada? Oh, well, I'm, yeah, I guess I, I'm kind of mid now-ish. <clears throat> I went, <laughs> when I was in high, I snowboarded. I actually learned to snowboard in, wow. in Deep River. Um, nice. Tiny little ski bank or um, riverbank ski hill, right? So and what, what mountain is in Deep River? Well, there's no mountain. It's, 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 it was called Mount Martin <laughs> Ski Club, but Mount, yeah. Mar Mount Martin was actually on the Quebec side, just across the Ottawa River, oh. if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. It's been a long time since I've talked about this. But yeah, no, it was just a riverbank. So we had like a, a T bar and a rope tow. And it was literally like the runs were, you know, five turns yeah. six turns like, yeah 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 and then yeah. Uh, i went to camp of champions in whistler in about 80 oh, wow. 89 i think yeah and then when i came back to ontario i was like <laughs> i'm moving to whistler i had to move to whistler <laughs> so that got me out, out west did you did you have a was Craig kelly one still one of the counselors there was he still yeah and you know what's my my claim to fame is that and <laughs> um r.i.p craig kelly but i i dropped into the pipe and the fucking yeah. guy, the fucking guy snaked me. He snaked me. Yeah. So, but but I didn't care, obviously. But what I remember is just uh, uh, side slipping the flat bottom and watching Craig, yeah. watching Craig yeah. like do runs in front of me. It was just like, oh my god, it was crazy. Yeah. Oh wow, and that's too bad. Like, yeah. What what a legend. I totally right. It's it's, um, <clears throat> and actually when I was there, another guy. I don't know if. I don't know who he, who he 
snowboarded for. His name was Neil Daffron. And do you remember that name? Yeah. And he died in a helicopter crash. Really? Yeah. Like literally within a week of me arriving there. So the, the, there was a bit of a somber tone over Whistler because of that. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, yeah, 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 but that was so that she, was interesting times. And then, yeah, when I got back to Ontario, I was like, "Oh, I got to move to Whistler." And I think it was the next year, I got in my car and I drove. Wow! Uh, yeah, I drove out, and then um, yeah, so just, a good two, two, three days probably. Uh, did you did end up? Take? Well, my car broke down in Canmore, so I, <laughs> I actually rolled into Canmore, and the transmission exploded. Oh my. And uh, I rolled into a hotel and I can't, it might've been like Harvey Heights. It might've been for people who, who are in Canmore. I think it, but Canmore was not the Canmore. It was like, this was no. 90, 1990, no, no. right? So it was not what it was, what it is now. And no. uh, the people uh, took me in um, this hotel. They, they took me in, they gave me a room. They bought my car off of me for like 500 <laughs> bucks. They drove me to the bus station because I was on my way to Vancouver and um, <clears throat> to stay with a friend before I before I moved up to Whistler, but I often wonder what it would have been like. You know how life gives us gives us these paths, right? Yeah. Like, there's all these forks, like thousands of forks. We we make decisions every moment of every day, and I often wonder yes. what life would have been like if I stayed in Canmore. Because um... I like Canmore. Actually, I've spent a bunch of time there in the last couple of years, and it, and I yeah. I really like it there. And, and when I'm there, I'm I'm often reminiscent about. You know, like houses are, you know, a million dollars and well, more. Yeah, than yeah. But uh, I just I wonder what what life would have been like. Canmore is such the the little Vancouver now. I feel like it's like everybody's moving there, and the house is, whew, yeah, insane over there. Yeah, it's bananas there. Oh. So you've uh, were you born and raised in Ottawa? No, I was born and raised in New Brunswick. So as you can tell, I have a snowboarding background as well. Yeah, yeah. I lived. Uh, I started in oh nine. I started ninety two, ninety two, ninety one, ninety two. So Craig Kelly just. I think it was his first year pro model that he actually had this signature yeah, Craig yeah, Kelly on that. Yeah, that was an interesting board. So yeah, and I've snowboarded probably most of my life. Most of my life, I still snowboard. Uh, once in a while, not as much as I used to. So, yeah. Born and raised in Edmonston, New Brunswick. Moved to Ottawa the summer of 2001. So, what came to study? And my first experience in Ottawa is, wow, what a big city. And then I see planes crashing in the tower, waiting in line at the university. So, I'm like, whoa, what is this? <laughs> So I was a little bit traumatized on my first day in Ottawa. Um, but yeah, no, Ottawa's been good. Yeah, I lived uh, I lived in Ottawa in uh, Sandy Hill for about yeah. 18 months, maybe. I yeah. lived there. Yeah, I worked in, I worked in Canada at, uh, nice. at a big Canadian tire store that was there at the time. Yes. Yeah, I think it was yeah. one of the biggest ones in Canada. Probably was. Yeah, and I think Des, I don't know if Dr. Dr. Des Keon owned it. It was a good place oh, wow. to work. Yeah, it wasn't too bad. Yeah. But the commute, man, it's like I was working six to three, so I had to get up at like four, right, to, to get there. Oh, insane. Yeah. yeah. I insane. mean, it wasn't like the traffic was that bad, but it's just, yeah, it's a long way out. But, uh, the but traffic like, is, is, 
uh, now the traffic is done. Like it's so much, so many people in Canada right now. Oh yeah. So, well, uh, Ottawa. Oh, it's, yeah, it's, sure. Is it still called Canada? It's all part of the Ottawa regional. It, I think we. I think people still call it Canada, but it's still Ottawa. It's Ottawa, but I think like even in on. I live on the Gatineau side, so I live in Chelsea, and we still call like all the cities the same name that yeah. it was before the amal amalgam amalgamation, whatever they yeah. called it. So yeah, 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 yeah. But I don't know. I don't has been good to us. It's yeah. a great place. What yeah. I remember yeah. about Gatineau is they used to have snowboard contests there on on the back. Yeah, yeah there used to be a half pipe comp competition there that I used to go to all the time. Wow. Was it called like Snowfest or um oh, I can't remember what it was called. I can't remember what the thing was called. It was so long ago. Yeah. I started snowboarding yeah. in like eighty four. I was My gosh. Like 13. How old were you? I was like thirteen. Oh, years wow. Old. Yeah. Because we're not that far in age, so I'm like you're probably you would have been one of the the seniors probably when I was one of the <laughs> maybe. The, and my other claim junior. to fame is like I'm 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 part of the first group to get um, our level one instructors. So <laughs> I got my level one at um, I can't remember the hill anymore, but I used to I used to teach at Calabogie Peaks. Yes, like back in the day, and yes. and no one was taking lessons, so I just went no. there and. Okay. And got a free pass and snowboarded all day. It was awesome, actually. <laughs> I remember um, we had one slope where I'm from in Edmonton. So it, it, the place was called Far Lane. So Mount, Mount Far Lane. Essentially, one, one <laughs> first year, no snowboard. Second year, well, I probably my third year by then. One hill dedicated. We needed to pass a test. Yep. And I have a green sticker on our seasons pass yeah. in order to attest that we could not kill people. Yeah, yeah I was <laughs> so. that guy. I was the guy. It's like, <laughs> so kids would show up and they're like, I'm going to go snowboarding. They slap their board down. And I'm like, okay, you have to go through the certification process. You basically need to turn, turn, stop, turn, turn, stop. Heel, toe, stop, That's toe, it. heel, stop, right? <laughs> and I remember this one kid, he, he just couldn't do it. He just he yeah. couldn't do it. I was like, well, man, I'm sorry. I can't let you on the hill. Yeah, because um, you're gonna kill somebody, right? Yeah. And um, but you can take a lesson. He kicked his board around. He was so pissed off, and I'm like, Oh my! I'm like, God. you know, you know what? No, you're. I'm. You can't even have a lesson here. Pack your board and go home. I don't want to see you here. Not with that attitude. That's it. That's yeah, it. Get out you're of here. Done. It would have been you. me. But... <laughs> it would have been me, but no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's so funny. Yeah, the certification oh. process was kind of it was kind of weird because skiers don't have to do that. You, no, know, you no, can no. slap skis on and kill someone too. It'd be out of control yeah, and totally. You know, like yeah. I, I was literally not being good at skiing like the week before. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was, like, it was so something. Uh, it, it, the good old days, and also back then, if you were a snowboarder, you probably had a little bit of grit <laughs> somewhere. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Did you? So did you skate as well? Yes, yeah. yes, my off seasons, but a lot of skateboarding, a lot of snowboarding, and I've uh, I've competed uh, nationally and provincially, and was accepted to the Mont Saint Anne World Cup, which I ended up not going cool. because I owned a snowboard shop. What snowboard shop own... did you own? <laughs> it was called Invert Skate and Snow. Invert Skate and Snow. Where was it? In Edmonton. So oh, in Edmonton. One, uh, one year, bad sabbatical, uh, decided that I would I would quit university and open a snowboard shop. So I was, I had 20 years old back then. So I was, yeah, 20 years old, 
invited to the World Cup. So my claim to fame, being invited and oh, ghosting the World Cup. Amazing. What discipline <laughs> would that have been? Half pipe. Half pipe. Yeah, um, half pipe. Yeah, so I, I had a shot windsurfing Ottawa. I don't know if they still exist. Really? I don't know if they still exist. But... I think I think they did for I don't I'm not sure they do still. Yeah, they sponsored Windsor. me. So they gave me yeah. like free boards. But then Deep River's in the middle of nowhere, right? So they actually stocked my car. They gave me inventory. And I had Whoa. a snowboard shop in my basement. I was still living at home. I was like 16, 17 years old, maybe. <laughs> and people, kids would come over and we go hang out in the shop. And yeah, oh, I had, so I had, cool. um, so I have, I had Alan, uh, Gnu. Um, I think that's all I had actually. And I remember having, uh, I think it was the first season of Airwalk snowboard boots. Um, what a, oh, I remember have. those boots. Yeah, right. They were so stiff and chunky. which color did you have? Just for fun. I think they were black and green, like green. Yeah, piping or something yeah, like yeah. That. You know, I think I know which one. <laughs> and there was like two models back then with the the, the Airwalk. There was the like mustard and ago, kind man. of a um, black and mustard, and there was the the the, the green and. And black as well. Oh my gosh, what a classic! Oh, so great, yeah. And then I had Elho, Elho clothing, like it yeah. was all it was all neon, right? Max Headroom kind of shit, super Euro, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah Ocean Pacific, remember Ocean Pacific? Yeah, I do. Yeah, that one piece suit. Oh yeah, <laughs> I never. You know what? My buddy had an OP um, one piece, and I just couldn't. It wasn't my jam. I just I couldn't no, me wear too. a onesie. Me too. Me too. Like such, I remember I, my first like real. There was O'Neill. Everybody would buy yeah. O'Neill pants to start, yeah. and when they had money, they would buy something else. Yeah. But I, my first pair of really had to work to get them was Sessions, the one that Jamie Lynn used to wear. Right. Like the brown sort yeah. of uh, almost goldish type of uh, brownish <laughs> Sessions. Yeah. And then. Pants. The other thing was West Beach. I had a ton of West Beach oh, stuff. Oh, West Beach. Right? And at the West time. Beach. So when I moved yeah. West, like eventually moved West, and then I worked for IntraWest. I was an IT yeah. guy, and then IntraWest actually owned the West Beach that was down on, Really? Um, uh, I can't, I'm gapping all the... In Whistler? No? No, no. This was in, in Vancouver. We had a retail store oh. there. We had a West Beach. Pretty sure it was West Beach. But oh, we, I'm we had sure. a store down there. It was big. Yeah. Wow, this is really taking me back. This is... For people listening, we're going to get into it in a minute, but we, we haven't really chatted at all. So this is kind of get to get to know you. It's really fun to relive the past like that. Wow, it's crazy. I think I still even have pictures of my shop somewhere, my little basement shop. Somewhere. Wow. I don't know. That's wow. Dude, that's like 33, 34 years ago, man. Like it's so long ago. It's so long ago. Uh, yeah, I was 12 when I started somewhere. I'm 44 now, so 22 years. Yeah. Insane. West Beach. Hey, West Beach. We had a local local guy called Trevor Andrews who was from Nova Scotia. Rode for Burton and West Beach. I know Oak. Trevor. I'm pretty sure he was the – he would always come in. We called him the – if it's the same guy, we call him the one-hit wonder because he, he would yeah. hit the pipe and he would just go – fucking huge he would go big and yes. uh, we the deep river boys we were all fairly technical we we didn't yeah. have a lot of height but we were super technical with our tricks yeah and he would yeah. i think it was trevor and he would always he would always win and we got so pissed off it's like dude we did like six hits and that guy did three <laughs> it's like come on we were so pissed he's a he's an artist in new york now i oh, think so like cool. he, 
Yeah, yeah, great legend, local legend for us in in the maritime. Okay, enough reminiscing. We got a, <laughs> and this is all staying in. It's all gonna stay in. It's good stuff. Oh, um, that'll be interesting. <laughs> yeah. So tell me more about you. So we we kind of connected on LinkedIn. You had posted something. I think I commented on it. I said I really like what you're talking about here, and um, basically around. Yes. I think it was around balance, right? But, but, but yes. Before we get into that. Just tell the listeners about, like, say your name, who you're, who you are, what you're about, what totally. your background is. Get into it. So apart from snowboarding, my name is Louis Philippe Landry, a very francophone name. Uh, people usually call they shorten it and call me LP. So I have a background in psychotherapy. So I provide psychotherapy. Been doing this since 2008. Been lucky enough to do this as as a career. And also I've been, I'm also a cyclist on, so I do two things, but not a, not in the, on the pro level. I just love cycling so much that I, I've got the same passion that I had for snowboarding that's being transferred to cycling. A lot of the subjects I talked about, I talked about, so in, uh, what I like to do is serve people essentially in the sense of, and when it comes to community, I want to encourage people to have a good work-life balance. I have a background. I've worked with male survivors of trauma, sexual trauma, in the beginning of my career. Uh, ended up helping a lot of people in psychotherapy as well, in group therapy as well. Uh, in the Ottawa region, um, a place that is that used to be called Maison Fraternité, which is a... Um, addictions treatment center so we would offer in treatment uh, for people for i think a maximum of three months so i would do psychotherapy with with men who actually were trying to get sober trying to actually get their lives back in balance a little bit more there and then afterwards i transitioned in a hospital setting uh, where i i've worked uh, in the outpatient part of uh, a hospital in um, the Ottawa region, which is called Montfort Hospital, which is a Fran Francophone hospital in Montfort. Um, I've worked in, also, yeah, in Montfort, I, I, I've helped a lot of people navigate the personality um, disorders, difficulties with personalities. So uh, a lot of people who would be heavy users of the mental health system because they suffer a lot. So a lot of men and women there in that context that I've helped uh, a lot of people hurt a lot uh, in their soul I would call it this way but it comes out in a way that often uh, can be dangerous for a lot of people so I've worked in a broad spectrum of mental health uh, from mood disorders to personality disorders in, even psychosis at some point so people with difficulty with schizophrenia or drug-induced psychosis. So a lot of my work there has been uh, has been to help people as best as we can using talk therapy because that's how I like to call psychotherapy. Uh, I'm also right now uh, a leadership coach in the government, so I help uh, execs. I'm now in my private practice, which I spend a lot of time. Uh, helping cyclists as well. So I, I love cycling. I go to events. I like to race in gravel. Gravel is sort of my arena in cycling. The snowboarder there still 
exists. <laughs> it's just that now he cycle, he, he does mountain bike and travel events. Um, so yeah, I, right now I meet in my private practice. I launched uh, a group uh, for men's or high performers. Uh, it, 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 it's mostly a coaching group, whereas psychotherapy is much more about processing and being able to reconcile your past and your present moment uh, compared to coaching, which is like, I don't make, even in psychotherapy, but still in coaching, it's much more about encouraging people. And usually it's not necessarily the same degree of difficulty in mental health. It's usually people who want to bring back balance in their lives. So the thing I do now is it help a lot of people uh, as much working on their emotions, but also physically encouraging them to do activities, usually cycling. I, I tend to attract cyclists in my environment because of what I do. Uh, so that's me in a nutshell. Uh, apart from that, I'm a lifelong athlete. Uh, on the personal level, I, uh, I like... I'm a dad, uh, I'm a husband, I'm very proud of how I'm, I'm taking part of those roles. And uh, other interesting thing for me, so also mental, uh, not mental, but heart disease. So I have a diagnosis of hypercholesterolemia. So pardon me if I- What is that? It. It's essentially chronic uh, hypercholesterol in my body. Oh, so okay. uh, I will always have cholesterol, I take, all those medications. So a great incentive for me to cycle is actually uh, my health. So I like to, with heart disease, uh, there's different kinds of heart disease, but I like to encourage like men to be checked, usually the, the first people who are uh, subject to that. So in my family, we have like a long list of ancestors who have passed away from generation to generation. So my own per on the personal level, like balance is important there because I need to always keep moving, always keeping taking care of myself, which uh, bodes well for the job that I do. So I, when people talk about difficulties with chronic mental health, they relate to me when I talk about something. I do share this with clients and professionals as well. So yeah, that's in a nutshell uh, who I am. Um, and I like to, oh, I also have a podcast, for, I'm forgetting, I also have a podcast. Uh, so on my spare time, when I do find some, I, I'm a, I'm a co-host of Overcome Cafe, uh, Tales of Mind, Body, and Relationship. So with the, 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 my self-description a little bit, kind of makes sense, the title now. So yeah, I like to help people overcome obstacles in their lives and the hope that balance is the active part of, because balance is not a static thing, it's an active thing. You need to be voluntarily get implicated in balance. So yeah, uh, Overcome Cafe talks about health, relationships, but also uh, our minds. So yeah. Well, man, that's a lot. There's a lot to launch from <laughs> in that <laughs> in that monologue. I love it. Um, a, couple, a couple things came to mind. I was listening to a podcast yesterday with Gabor Mate, and he was talking about um, addiction. Um, yes, addiction to substances, and that generally the addiction to to a substance is driven usually by 
a root cause mental health issue. So someone's trying, so it's, it's not necessarily, I, I was talking to someone today about it, just about, um, it was a dude who works, he, he used to work in a men's kind of a transition home, helping men, you know, yes. you know, get their, get back on their feet. Yeah. And we were talking how it's like, you know, someone who is say mentally healthy and that could be, you know, we don't have to dive into that, but for instance, I could like, um, snort math and not necessarily mm-hmm. get addicted to it because it's, I'm, I'm, it's not a crutch for me. Right. Yeah. Um, so I know that the opioid, uh, epidemic is, it's huge and it's a huge problem, but I often wonder mm-hmm. if that problem is basically uh, been catalyzed by deeper mental health issues that, so people are using the substance to escape from. Do you see that? And let's be honest. If you start with meth, uh, as a, as a snorting substance, People might use it once, okay, but it's still interesting that they would start with this. It's still interesting that somebody would occasionally use this. So it does say something about, like a lot of a lot of us, we all agree there's a lot of shame linked to substance abuse, and, and especially for men. Men tend to want to keep this, and it's still there. I still see it. It's different now, but it's still there. Like this tough i i no weakness so it might sound simple but it has great ramifications when we think about it like there's huge ramifications so when we fail at something we're afraid of failing or we're angry that we didn't succeed and oftentimes it plays out in in a lot of shame so Brené brown likes to say like feeding uh, <laughs> So somebody who has a trouble with addiction, like shame is like a glass of water with salt in it when you're in the desert. Mm. Like you drink that and it kills you essentially. So shame is a great, great trigger when it comes to addictions. And essentially it's us wanting to numb. So how we would take an approach at when I, when I worked in addictions, we would not necessarily focus on trying to too much name the, 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 the drug of choice, whichever it was. It was more about the process bringing someone to use that. So we, all, we sort of treated everything. Even if I said earlier, like if you choose to snort meth or snort cocaine or you're with opioids was a little bit more tricky because in the beginning when they talked about opioids, it said it was non-addictive. So it was being promoted in the beginning as something non-addictive. So people sort of got hooked on it. And then so it, it continued to the point where I think people uh, saw different uses for it. So after, after some time, they needed to shift their position and say, oh, no, it's addictive. We <laughs> kind of too late now because a lot of people were addicted to it. And with all the all the the consequences that we've known so when it comes and if you think of it opioids is called a painkiller so gabor mate is right in the sense that it's a deep emotional hurt some people call it like a wounded soul type of effect and where there's so much pain that you feel like you need to numb it because it is a painkiller when it comes to opioids and met other substances even even cannabis like i've seen people on cannabis 
and I don't want to minimize, or I know it's legal now, but it, uh, I, I stopped working in addictions officially in 2012. If you would have asked me back then, which drug or substance I would, I would, I would ban, it would have been alcohol. The, the, the real gateway drug, really, right? It can be a gateway drug, but also it, it not that I'm going to ban any substance. No, no, no. LP but... doesn't have that power, but people were curious about that. And out of curiosity, sometimes people would tell me, oh, probably something like, like heroin or something more hardcore that we see in movies. Actually, like I, in our treatment center, a lot of the clients that committed suicide, it was people who drank and couldn't stop drinking. Mm. And with relapse, and I have a bad relapse. I've had clients, I lost clients, and their drugs of choice was, was not crystal meth, was not hmm. even opioids, it was not even cocaine, it was not even cannabis, it was alcohol. And so widely available. Like, it's just right there. Just like cannabis now. Excellent. And, and I'll, I'll share, like, I quit cannabis, and I, I shouldn't say I'm not, quote, I, I don't like using the word sober for my experience, mm. because, but, but I, I did start to recognize that I was having an unhealthy relationship with that. Yeah. Substance. Yeah. And um, so I, I quit and it's very occasionally for me now, like super occasional. But when you're when you're when you haven't used a substance for a really long time and then you use it again mindfully and you actually yeah. pay attention to to what it's actually doing to your thought process. It's yes. crazy. Like um, it, it's it to basically not use it for a long time. Get your feet on the ground. Get out of the fog. Yeah. Right. Just like I, I, I rarely drink. Like I rarely drink yeah. as well. And when I have some, I'm just a cheap date. Like I just, I have no tolerance for that stuff anymore. Yeah. But I did notice with the cannabis, I would start to get those, um, <clears throat> people kind of paranoia, but I would call it more insecurity. You just get this really insecure vibe. And w when you haven't used it in a long time, you're like, wow. So that's what it's like. Right. But if you're constantly using it, you're constantly in that state of, fog and and insecurity and and uh you don't really know how it's affecting you until you you just stop and it's like i like i say i would never use the term i i like i don't think i was necessarily addicted it was so habitual just to use it all the yeah. time and and it became like using it in the morning and it's just like no that's and it wasn't serving my relationship it wasn't serving me no. myself as a father it wasn't it wasn't serving me at all and if you look at it, like we're altering our mind because there's something in reality that's tough to tolerate. So stress can do that, like hyper stress. Uh, and you said that, like you're saying, it's a great example. Like we notice the consequences at some point where it takes over a sphere that we care about. So when it comes to that, and that's a great example that she just gave. Because a lot of people, that's it. It, it. it sort of keeps growing and growing and growing until at some point it takes over too many spheres of our lives. And then we're stuck sort of wondering, how did I get here? And because we're only reacting and we're using something external to regulate emotions that we probably haven't learned. And that's the thing with with men usually that's why I'm, i i do a lot of work with men uh, individually and in groups so and 
shame is shame. It, it, it has no sex, no gender, no nothing. But if we take a little bit of a little slice of the that pie and look at men, men have this this we shouldn't talk about it still like it's weakness and then i uh, i use external stuff sort of to calm the inner suffering that we have because it's always pressure always doing something you need to show that traditional role of male which is i don't want to call every masculinity toxic but that aspect of masculinity like hyper macho men who don't know how to identify emotions and tolerate them when we're kids we're told like don't cry and be tough and then we're telling like half of the basic emotions you were born with because we're all born with the same emotions joy fear sadness anger surprise and disgust that's the basic every child is born with this but when we choose to socialize men to say it's only okay to have joy if you win <laughs> the wish classic for instance <laughs> andrews do huge methods and huge big twists do three on the pipe and win uh and we are only allowed to have joy there but when it comes to having joy because you've succeeded somewhere then or having joy because your child just smiled at you <laughs> you feel it but then we become uncomfortable with, with it so we change the subject we distract so we're telling men from a young age that half of their emotions that they are biologically born with, that we won't teach how to use them. This has a consequence later on. And it can be like a po positive emotion that we cannot tolerate. It can be a negative emotion that we cannot tolerate, but all emotions actually are not negative or positive. It's what we do with them that makes the difference. Like, Anger is not violence. It's it's a useful emotion if if you can regulate it. Yeah, right. that's it. It's how you react. Like anger, violence is a behavior. Anger is an emotion. Two different things. Like I always use the same example. I go <laughs> in my living room. There's a coffee table. I hit my small toe. I can tell you that I'm not feeling joy at that point. <laughs> Usually when you look at that, the first emotion, it, it's just telling something overstepped the boundary. That's anger. That's useful. For instance, if I think of joy, like joy, if I'm, I'm feeling joy because you're suffering, that makes me sort of a psychopath at that moment. Or at least I very say this way of looking at it. Oh, I'm happy that you are hurting. Joy in that case is not a positive emotion. It's actually a sign of mental health that we need to start working on or else it can degenerate. So the, when I looked at that part with the emotion and also like how we, we are socialized, we are even socialized that sadness is not okay, which is a soft emotion. So men, instead of getting sad, they get angry. His anger's encouraged. Oh, look at my little plus little boy. Uh, I was a skateboarder, I said earlier. I, like, I can tell you, like, you would drop six feet and fall on your, on your shoulders, on your head. You would knock yourself out. Anger was sort of encouraged. You would get up and then jump it again because you want to have it before you leave for your home at the end of the day. 
So in, in snowboarding, it's the same way. Like you would use anger a lot. But the thing with anger is it's not meant to stay for a long time. And when we think of shame, shame and guilt, like guilt is like, they're, they're very similar. Guilt is linked to behavior. So if I value being a kind person, <laughs> I tell somebody off on the highway because they cut me off with their car or I end up being rude or getting into an argument. Probably at the end of the day, I'll look at myself and feel guilty for getting sucked into that spiral of anger. And usually when we look at that, we'll feel guilt and guilt will, will be a very good and complex emotion that tells us, okay, next time, what do I need to do? When it's shame, usually we call ourselves name. Like I'm, I'm not good enough. Well, you can, I see, I lost my cool again. It's identity based and that causes a lot of damage and that we see in, uh, in drugs, in uh, not drugs, but um, in addictions, in men's issues. Uh, well, men, women too, they have their own version of that. They have to be perfect all the time and they have to have all their stuff together all the time. So they need to be looked in, looked in control and society sort of forces them to look perfect while doing it. I can go bald, I can <laughs> I can gain weight. Nobody's gonna notice that in me. But a woman, it's different. The, the people start looking, oh, are you okay? Did you, like, you've gained weight. Are you something wrong or something like that? There's judgment and there's stigma a little bit more. So when we look at, usually, the, I'm generalizing, I know that, but men versus women, it's way different when we look at men. Like, we're not taught that, we're taught that emotions are to be avoided or when they get they, they take over, then we look at them. So that's it. So that's that's how we look at that generally. Yeah. I did. A, I had a conversation with John Nagrodnichuk. He's the psycho uh, leads up the psychiatric department at UBC. Yeah. And he had written a paper. He and his, and some of his colleagues about silence, about the epidemic of silence in men, and mm. how we're not um, expressing ourselves and. Uh, or learning how to even express ourselves in a healthy way and to be able yeah. to, to manage our emotions. And um, because it is stigmatized, like you said, you know, um, to, to say, complain about a life situation is being mm. soft and you're being, you know, it's, it's just, mm. it's just not what we're kind of taught to do. Right. And, mm -hmm. and I've been, I mean, since I've been starting to lean into mental health on the podcast, I encourage men to like even reach out to me. Like, who am I? Yeah. I'm just a guy, right? Yeah. I'm a 52 year old guy who's gone through a lot of shit, right? I had anger problems and you know, I've, I've talked to coaches, I've talked to therapists and I feel like I'm coming into a, just a different place in my life right now where I can mm. more easy. I'm not perfect, but it just more easily manage these emotions. It's like, you know what? If reach out to me, reach out to your buddy, like just mm -hmm. don't be afraid to, to express yourself or express your fears and your sadness and your anxiety about your relationship or even asking for advice, you know, like that, that term mansplaining, right. <clears throat> mm -hmm. Which, which is kind of a, a toxic behavior I think men have, but, but toxic's a harsh word because if the way I, the way I see it is like you took a bunch of men and you 
uh, I'm not a mechanic, but if, if there were a bunch of men around and I popped the hood of my car and I'm like, I don't know what's going on, man, blah, 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 blah. A whole bunch of men will, will dive in there and start telling each other what they think it might be. Basically mansplaining yeah. to one another. And it's, it's kind of <laughs> what, what men do because I, f- I feel like we always really want to help. We always, we're, we're, we like to yeah. be problem solvers. We want to be the hero, right? We want to, yeah. we want to be, we just want to be, of, we want to be useful. We want to be yeah. of service, right? So yes. when we, when we, uh, when we approach that with, with say members of the opposite sex, sometimes that can lead to, <laughs> right, to some some conflict, some friction. Yeah, and and even yes. despite the intent not being, you know, it's just the way men are. So I would encourage mm-hmm. guys like, if if you. Don't be silent. If you have a problem, talk to your guy friends about it. And if the guy totally. friend doesn't respond to you in, in in a way that's useful, go find somebody else. Because you know you need to find someone who's you know on the same emotional level, right, as you. But but yeah. more men like I, I probably cry more now, especially after having kids. I cry all the time. I cry at Disney <laughs> yes. movies. I cry when I'm watching Sloan at a recital, you know, if yes. I cry riding down the trail with my boy because, you know, he's just yeah. gotten into biking and it's like, it's, it's joy. It's, but, but let it out. Yes. You know, it's not yes. a bad thing, right? It, we, we, it's true. It's, it's so well said. Like you hit the, the nail on the head with that, Steve. It's the sense that, it's almost like we were colorblind at some point. And I'm not talking about the, the actual, but we had a partial view of a color. And when we had the old picture, and this is what happens when we have less shame, that we ner- learn to recognize emotions and we learn to tolerate them. Because a, the, a lot of the times the mansplaining is we're uncomfortable with something, we need to fix it automatically rather than just be there as a presence because like you could have somebody like LP who's explaining everything, but it, you might not feel listened to because I'm literally trying to fix you. And sometimes I don't need to be fixed. I just need to be heard. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because that 20 years ago would have been something that would have been stigmatized and say, well, that's for women. That's not for men. Women, we don't talk about it. Um, and the fact that you can go and see and find pure joy and wholehearted moments with your son and seeing your daughter as well do and achieve stuff, it's awesome. Like my daughters, when they do something, I, I like first time they rode a bike, first time they, they read something, first time they asked me advice on something. Like I, I feel it. I feel that joy in that moment. And I feel the tears coming up depending on the event, of course, but <laughs> I'm a softy at heart and I'm proud to say I'm a softy at heart. So yeah. as soon as they, they do something, <laughs> my daughters, I'm like, wow, man, like I'm teaching adults what you just talked about. Yeah. They talk, they talk about emotions and they're ready for it. And it's not because they're girls. It's because we are intentional about it. We talk about emotions in our home. Yeah, as a family, it's part of our culture, and there's a lot of balance there because a lot of people say think balance. It's always about we view it as a performance thing, a zero one approach. Either I I go all out mm-hmm. and then like work hard, party hard, eh? and that mm-hmm. that's 
I don't know if people still use that expression, but I remember growing into environments where it was work hard, party hard, and that's called balance. Actually, it's called draining yeah. yourself. Yeah. <laughs> like, or just sleep. You got to have sleep. You got to sleep in there. Self-care. <laughs> I, I heard yeah. this analogy about balance. I can't remember where I heard it, but it, you know, it's cycling related, but you have all these aspects of your life. Um, you know, you have relationship, children, work, uh, you know, your own self-care and, and physical activity, nutrition, sleep, all these things, they're all spokes mm -hmm. in your wheel, right? They're all spokes yeah. and they all have to be tensioned just right. Yeah. And then when yeah. say that sleep spoke breaks, you know, that, that spoke breaks, then that yeah. affects every single other, the tension, yes. the tension across all those other spokes increases. So you're going to have tenser relationships, tenser relationships with your kids, tense at work. Right. And then, yeah. and then once you start getting sleep, that tension gets back into balance and then suddenly something happens. You can't go for your gravel ride or go for a bike packing trip or spend time in nature. All the other part uh, the other spokes start to get the tensions wrong. Right. So it's, it's it's a constant, and they can't all be tension. They can't all necessarily be tensioned at the same time. But you have to yeah. be mindful about okay. I need to yeah. I need to turn that nipple a little bit. I need to tighten yeah. up the physical activity. You know, get that yeah. going a bit, and then maybe spend some time with my partner. And you know, yeah. don't be so mean to my kids. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? It's just so, this constant. First of all, we're, we're always growing somewhere. So yeah, yeah. I think it's such a great analogy. It's the same image that I use. I think like balance is a proactive thing, first of all, and that's a great example because each poke, if you over tighten it or you loosen it too much, it will affect the balance. Great news is, like. Yes, I do break spokes once in a while, but I, if I take care of it a little bit, like small things actually prevents those spokes from breaking. Like if you just fine tune and check everything once in a while on a regular basis, because consistency is key. Like I've never broken a spoke because I've checked it regularly. I broke a spoke because I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> or I, I, I hit a rock or I was going too hard on something. So when we look at that, like I, I have the, the image as well as a, of a type, a type wire artist that goes on top. He's got this pole. It seems so easy and they make it look easy, but there's always tension somewhere. Same, same image as the spokes earlier. There's always a tension. Tension doesn't mean that we're going to go off balance necessarily. We work like we need to have a little bit of stress or else I would be literally in my chair, like sitting like this. We need tension in our body. It's useful. It's also useful for growth, useful for stress management, useful for a bunch of spheres in our lives. But I think we sometimes, for, either we treat it as a performance, then again, this, the, the, this, the stereotypical, I need to perform even in my balance, rather than noticing and having curiosity and adjusting slowly but surely. Like, and then um, when I worked in Maison Fraternité, the first thing we would do is eat correctly, <laughs> sleep correctly. Like some people didn't sleep correctly for weeks on and months. When somebody relapsed, sometimes it's not pretty. So, the first things that, that go is the basic needs. 
So we would then reestablish the basic needs at first. Those things were as important as actually having good friends. Like sleep is an important thing when it comes to mental health. But sleep is also uh, linked to physical activity, to hygiene, to food, to and also knowing oneself. Because we don't have all the same type of scheduling. We all don't have the same needs when it comes to sleep. So even one sphere can involve a lot of different, like it involves knowing oneself a little bit better. And in order, in order to know oneself, like we need to know like how we reestablish energy, how that we rest, how that we, I mean, sometimes resting for some people, resting can be resting while going jogging, yeah. which sounds weird, contradictory, but some, like some people, that's the only time that their brain is actually in a state of not like a flow state or uh, or different types of approaches depending on what you look at but usually this is when the brain is actually more free to process stuff like cycling for me does that trick like i i go in my own supervisions and my own psychotherapies a psychotherapist should have a psychotherapist by the way but even that that's a balanced thing i, I don't always need but Hearing the stories that I hear, like somebody, I need to take care of myself as well in the same way. I need to apply what I teach. So when it comes to cycling, for me, cycling is like the place where I, I'm the most creative. Like when I go for a long ride, my mind is free to not focus too much on something, but always the creative part, like, oh, I could talk about this subject in the podcast this time. Or I could write a blog on this subject. All I need to do is take a, a notepad or my phone and actually write it there. And then I continue writing it. And that's it. I just acted on it. So, yeah, if to come back to the spoke analogy, I, I think, like, people, I want to encourage people, like, it's okay to not have it all together. Just start somewhere small. Somewhere small. And if you do that consistently, the rest comes around too. Like you're going to want to do it more. So, yeah. And when I think too, that's like the, the, the outside shell of all of that um, is just paying attention, right? It's so easy to, to not pay attention. Um, totally. And, and not even, not even to all the, all the spokes, not necessarily paying attention to the spokes, but paying attention to yourself and, and how you're feeling in, in any given moment. Yeah. And then correlating that with, I'm feeling sad because I haven't hugged my wife today, mm -hmm. right? So it's like, and and then for men, then that stigma kicks in. Oh, yeah. just fucking toughen up. It doesn't matter. It's like no man. It's like we're 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 animals of connection. We're we're human beings. Totally. It's about relationships and connections. So it's it's like if you're feeling sad because you haven't had any affection from your wife, then you either mm -hmm. have to go and get it or talk to her about it, right? And try to and try to sort that out. Yeah. Right? Or you know, you have a fight with your kids, you mm -hmm. know, like um you need to make amends to that, right? You need totally. to yeah, I need so you need to need to be mindful like constantly. And I think that with all the distractions that we have in life. Yeah. And I will say that 
athletics is is another form of distraction it, it, and it can be right can. like people it can, can really totally. dive way too deep i had a, a conversation with an endurance coach um jennifer schmidt about that it's about um you know we 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 sometimes will ride our bikes as uh with the intention of quote improving our mental health but sometimes it's just a mask we're, yeah we're, it's an escape it's a mask and sometimes we need to pay attention and look at the root cause of what's giving us totally. the grief before we go for a ride. Right. Totally. And then if you can address those issues, um, I mean, her logic and it totally makes sense is if you can address some of the mental health issues, um, first that it'll improve sport performance, right? Like totally. You know, agree. I felt that ride in the divide last year. Cause I, I'm just going, well, I've been a year through separation and I carried a lot of that weight. Yeah, on, on the tour divide ride into Mexico, and I had one of my good friends, Bonnie, tell me, she says, "You need to ride it again because you'll do better. Like it'll feel better, yeah. it'll feel different because you won't have that yeah. monkey on your back, right?" Totally. Um, so I think there's again, that's the the idea of balance is making sure that you're not hiding in your sport. Totally. Right. It's an addiction. The, the, right. The reason why we do it makes a big difference. The way we do something makes a big difference. That's exactly what you you described there. It's a, like I can use cycling as a great way to manage my health or I can avoid I, I jokingly call it because I've noticed it in a lot of the cyclists in my community and wherever we cyclists at large. <laughs> I call a lot of the partners like cycling widows. Like because the partner leaves for the whole weekend and or the whole week, depending on what we do, but then the other partners at home sort of owning the responsibilities of everything and the partner comes back, but he's not really there yet. And he's trying to sort of avoid that pressure that we have at home. So then our partner becomes sort of a cycling widow. Like they, they have a husband physically, but mentally disengaged. And sometimes we can use cycling this way to avoid our roles, responsibilities, sometimes uh, just avoiding a need that we have in a relationship. Like you said earlier, I was sad because I was thinking I haven't hugged my wife in a while. And what it means there is like, I need emotional connection. I need to feel like I'm valued by the person I value most. Most of the times it's our partners. So cycling, as an example, endurance sports, it, it's long periods of time. Like the Tour Divide, <laughs> how long did it take you? I, I, didn't want to, I don't want to turn it into a performance thing, but how long were you going for the Tour Divide? I, my, my goal was 21 days. I did it in 27 so 27 days yeah. like, awesome by the oh, way thank you like i have to say like <laughs> and at the same time like 27 days away from our family yeah and you know a, a lot of what you're just saying really resonates with me and and i'll i'll admit wholeheartedly that i'm sure some of my uh intention was to get away from a failing relationship mm-hmm. right to to, it wasn't feeling good in, in this yeah. moment. And then I would take myself out of that. And then totally. I, I haven't posted this. I've been posting videos on my Patreon of, uh, but there's this one video in New Mexico where I'm sitting on a log. I'm eating like a three day old burrito out of my frame bag. And I got super deep 
Like I got really, it was really dark, mm. super dark. Yeah. And I was just, you know, really questioning the why behind the whole thing. And yeah. like, why am I out here? Am I out? Is it an escape? You know, like, have I, have I been coming out here to, um, has me coming out and doing these, I mean, that was the longest one I've ever done, but you know, these two day, three day, five day, 10 mm-hmm. day races, always giving my partner first right of refusal, always. Yeah. Um, am, am I actually not paying attention enough and letting my relationship slip? Right. Yeah. So I, I feel I'll, I'll take accountability for that. And then yeah. some, some of those times was probably like that. It was probably a bit of an escape. So yeah, you go on these, you go on these things, you take off and you have so much, you know, you're talking about riding a bike and it's your most creative time. It's cause I feel like cycling is so for people who ride bikes all the time, it's autonomic. Like we don't have to mm-hmm. think about balance and braking and shifting and pedaling. It's just, it just happens. It's just robotic. Totally. Don't even think about it. So, so that whatever part of our brain that's on the autopilot, you know, weaving, yeah. bobbing and jumping and manualing, blah, 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 just doing the thing mm-hmm. completely autonomically frees up those other parts of the, the mind to, to process and to, and to think about things. And I, I would find that I would just be riding along and I would just think about my kids and it would just be this, this volcano of emotion from just bubbling up from nowhere. And I'd cry and I'd be like, but happy. Like I'm getting emotional now yeah. talking about it, but it works other ways too, where, where you'll bubble up with, with, with shame and regret yes. about things that you've done in your past or things that you've said. And, Oh, sorry, man. But no, yeah, not at all. Not at all. It's those things really resonate when when you're out there and your your mind is just kind of idling, you know. And then there's those moments where it just it sinks into um, the void, right? Where there's just nothing happening, and you're just like moving through nature. You're watching the gravel go by, and it's just (laughs) you know you're not thinking about anything, which is kind of the most beautiful place to be in a lot and, of cases. And, and, and it's a complex, like our brain is a super computer. And even that experience that you're describing that we do, and the, I like it like uh, the first, the, the beginning of the podcast, my podcast, uh, I was sitting with Matt Serge, who's a, a great cyclist in the region of Ottawa. And he's also, he's got a master's in philosophy. So part of what he wrote, he says, cyclists are cyborgs in the sense that we become an extension of a machine instead of doing it the other way around. We tend to view the machine as an extension of ourselves. He sort of flipped it around and it's, he's got an interesting article on his website too. Um, It's on techni.cc. I'm giving his website because I think it's an interesting concept, especially if you're interested in stories about cycling and a little bit. We'll send it but to me Matt, and I'll put it in the show notes. I'll put totally, it there. totally. Matt actually talks about this extension of an adaptation between the machine and us. And it's funny because what you were describing, even if it feels aut- autonomous, the francophone in me, I apologize for the accent there. But what we do there... It's the equivalent of us sitting and watching in the window and being bored. This skill is actually very useful. The skill of boredom? 
Yeah. 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 I've, t- I talked about like that it. a few days ago with somebody. We, we're not, used <laughs> to just, we're not just used to sitting in it. I, I don't do no. it either. It's always like yeah. what's on TV, you know, podcast, totally. play the drums, pick up the guitar. I'm always like, duh, duh, duh. I'm always like doing yeah. something. Go on. Right. And Ryan Holiday wrote, wrote a book on this. Um, it was a, a philosopher as well. I like, I like philosophy, I guess in my sort of cousin field, but uh, talks about uh, in in his book stillness is key. It talks about different types of skills that are linked to being still. And he quotes uh, Blaise Pascal quotes like men's suffering all stems from is the human's incapacity to sit in the room alone with his thoughts. So I butchered that quote, but I still kept the essence of it. But why are our thoughts so difficult to tolerate? I would say it's because we don't practice it enough anymore. And that example in cycling, while you were writing, like a cycling experience is loaded with very complex cognitive experiences like regret. Regret is actually a very useful uh, emotion. Uh, Dan Pink was, a, I think, a, a psychologist out of the States thought, wrote a book on regret and the use of regret and how complex it is to have regret because there's more than one type of regret when you looked at you sitting in the tour divide there you're regretting something at that moment but it's a magic capacity to go in the past and reevaluate in the present and wanting to make a decision to change that because I'm pretty sure somewhere along those lines, that was a key moment for you to make a decision to change something. And probably, hopefully, for the better. If it's for the worse, then it's, that's the bad part of regret because then we we spiral. But if usually regret, and even that, that's very complex. Because it's not one isolated event. It's our capacity to literally imagine a past and a future that is different. So... I'm sure that when you sat in that moment, yes, we will feel sadness and maybe depressed or as a feeling. And this is exactly the goal of sadness. Sadness makes us stop, reassess, and re-engage in something. So that's why if we have an extended experience of that grief, for instance, like when we lose a loved one, we stop reassess because life continues without that person that we loved we loved a lot and re-engage again sometimes for the better sometimes for the worse most of the time for the better because grief is part of life if you love you grieve it's it's not it's a it's a package you have to accept that so if you love you grieve a relationship as well because we loved someone and then it didn't work out anymore. And we are grieving and there's different stages of grief. And sometimes we are in the stage of acceptance, but sometimes we are in creating new meaning, which is a a newer step of the stages of grief of uh, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. And, but anger, denial, bargaining, that's all there. And we don't have it only once. We have it many times at different versions triggered by different, different types of situations. So when we talk about regret in that moment, well, we stop and we address it. 
The problem when we distract and we use our, our great cell phones, which is a great tool, by the way, it's a neutral tool. What do we do with it again? If I use it to distract and avoid, then it's going to make things worse because the more we avoid, the more it puts pressure on the situation. So we can distract sometimes with this. Sometimes we can actually text a friend and say, who's having a rough patch and say, man, I'm there for you. You matter to me. Yeah. And usually even that behavior is might be a regret, a regret that you didn't extend that, uh, that hand to your friend the last time you saw him and you thought about him. Oh my gosh, I, I should text him right now and say, you're going through a rough patch. That was regret right there. And being a snowboarder with a carpe diem type of philosophy, at some point I believed that regret was a no regret type of a situation until I knew better. Like when we look at that and we accept that we take responsibility for something we've done in our past, we get to make a choice and change for the future and choose different avenues, different reactions, which is called learning essentially. You know, I, I've said this before. Um, I mean, particularly for men, because I mean, we're leaning hard into men, but I think all humans yeah. Yeah. To, to remove yourself from society and <clears throat> go on a, on a multi-day adventure like that um, with no, sorry, I should say with the intention of mm-hmm. discovering, it's, it's going to sound woo. I use that like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's woo. And it's like a lot of, a lot of men who don't say participating in these things might not resonate with this, but when you, when you do something like that and you're, mm. you're, all you have to worry about is the, is the, the bubble around you, right? Yeah. That's all you have to worry about. Food, water, shelter. That's it. Movement, food, water, shelter. That's it. And there's so much, it's, it's all, it's like, like a psychedelic experience. It's like, totally. you're going to go and you're going to learn every day. You're going to learn something. One, you're going to learn that 99.999 percent of the people that you're going to meet out there are fucking beautiful everyone yeah is amazing totally. like there's the odd totally. there's the odd person who's a bit of a dick but they, you know they have their that's them that's their problem right yeah but most people are so beautiful and and i i forged just some amazing relationships riding with people on that on that thing cried together laughed together got pissed off about stuff together walked through snow together like we just (laughs) you know there's a it's it's not only cathartic but it's it's um community right it's just it brings everyone together and and it's just when you when i came out the other side i felt super attenuated you know when i came back to to life i just felt i felt like facing all the adversity of, of something like that and the weather, mm-hmm. the discomfort and the, the shitty food and the not knowing where you're going to sleep, all that stuff. And then you come back to life and it's like, life's pretty good. You know, like we, yeah. we do have it really good. Right. And yes. It, it, for me personally, it really attenuated stuff. And then the other thing you were saying too, is about, you know, just about learning and, and the grieving process. And yeah. I feel like just in the last month, I think the thing that's resonating in my head right now is just letting go. Oh my gosh. Cause right. I can't, there's so much I can't control what's going on mm-hmm. in, for, with my life right now. And it's like, I can't control it. So I might as well just live and, and try to be the, try to show up better 
in whatever moment I happen to stumble into just trying to show yeah. up better every single day. Yeah, yeah. it's not going to always be that way. You're going to trip and you're going to fall on your face. You're going to raise your voice at your kids because they're being silly or you're going <laughs> to get angry at work because of this, this or that, you know, but, totally. but, but to be able to let things go more easily and compartmentalize these things, which I'm, I'm learning how to do. I'm learning how to just, put a box around something and leave it aside until it's, mm. important, you know? Yeah. Um, that's what I feel like. That's another, that's maybe that's the last stage of grief is yeah. just to let go. And it feels really good. Yeah, totally. And, and that's why David Kessler, who's, um, Elizabeth Kubler Ross is right hand man. We talk about her a lot in the, in the field of psychotherapy and psychology. Uh, but he was also a contributor, and his his book is actually very interesting on that because he, he added one stage, which is called finding meaning. We are able to let go usually when we find meaning in something. It's a difficult thing to do, like because it is. It will shift our purpose. Eh? Sometimes when we grieve someone or grieve a situation. It means it requires from us a stretching of our character, of our soul, whichever word you are more comfortable with. It requires us to learn a new skill and let go of something that was too heavy to carry anymore. So when we let go of something in the past, it's because there's also something that is purpose-linked. Like, I remember skateboarding. I would spend hours and hours and hours and hurt myself and fall and get angry and then it's funny because I, I, ryan sheckler actually did a video last month that he that he's that he's posted on i think it was on red bull or on youtube i think both probably and he's talking about this like for one instant like that pleasure of landing that trick that you've been working and working and working it lasts like the dopamine hit it's probably only a few seconds I think in cycling, that's what I like about cycling because the journey is part of it. Like going and walking in snow with someone and saying, you know what, we're together in this. And there's so many levels. It's less of a individual and the journey is as important as the arrival. Like mm -hmm. I'm, I'm pretty sure in the Tour Divide, the first one that crosses the line gets collapsed, but the last one who crosses the line gets collapsed as well. I've seen and I've lived that experience in cycling events as well. If there's anyone there yeah. at all. Yeah. <laughs> if there's, there's anybody there, there at all. all. Yeah. I did, I did an <laughs> ITT a number of years ago. There's people all the time. There's dog watchers. True. Now there. everyone's watching. I did an ITT and I got to my, my I got to the, the end of the loop and yeah. it was like two in the morning or something. And I was like, no one was around. I was like, Yay! <laughs> it's like there's no one around. No. Went home, had a bath, went to bed. <laughs> it's way anticlimactic. And that's true. That's true. For like the two o'clock in the morning, probably the dot watchers in the no in one's Ottawa awake. or whatever. Yeah. But <laughs> it's it's way. true. It's like exactly what you said. So the the first person that crosses gets gets the applaud and good work, and you know the guy that comes in in 27 days is like everyone's proud of you, and then the person that comes in Lantern Rouge, you know, in yeah. in, in say two months. It's like, you yeah. did it, you did it, right? It's, it's, it's all good stuff. And it's this exact same sense of pride. Like there's this more longer and more 
there's more experiences it's probably because it's as proportionate as the time like everyone admires even the slowest known time as the fastest known time in those events and it's like every, everyone gets their actually recognition in a way that i think is very encouraging that's what i love about the cycling community as well like like last summer i was at, at the bike bikepacking summit and seeing the closeness with everyone and seeing how like there's this grit that's there but also that what i call the knowing laughter like going through and living an experience and both of you laughing at something that most people wouldn't laugh about which really <laughs> like, sucked at the time it would have sucked yeah, at the time but it's like totally after the fact it's like oh remember when my wheel fell apart and yeah <laughs> <laughs> and during the that's that's anxiety generating when it happens in the middle of the woods there so or for us in in the, in the ottawa region we all have a phobia of uh, about brown bears so uh, like grizzly bears oh my gosh we would all dive and people from out west they, they they've got this smile and they're like yeah totally and i'm like i would be that would be my worst fear but it's funny when we look at the, the cycling part of it and how it matters, like there's the community aspect, I think is, is also a reinforcer for mental health. Like I think like the Surgeon General who went on Rich Roll, I think last week on the Rich Roll podcast said that isolation is one of the thing in the, that's way, um, that way underestimated on how much damage it causes. So the fact that we're in communities and actually going in the woods together and sort of that this band of sisters and brothers going into and, and, and men and women and, and uh, non-binary as well, like we're all going for the same goal. We're all going to be together and there's this encouragement, but also there's also the competition part of it. Like I remember uh, riding with a guy who was doing the log driver's waltz in Ottawa and that guy like was jetting and i was encouraging him while I, it just so happened it was an accident i just not an accident but i, I chance uh, it, it sort of i saw i saw a guy going i'm like are you doing the driver the log driver's waltz he's like yeah so oh, i'm gonna ride with you and then that guy was like jetting <laughs> he was like going for the fastest known time <laughs> so there's room for that there's room for whichever type of experience you want to have i'm sure like he didn't remember my name and i i think i tagged him on ig afterwards and i am like yeah, you did terrific man that's a great job um yeah yeah, yeah. and I, I think that's what's really important too is you know sometimes i feel like from a from a physical standpoint like here i, I don't tend to have a lot of male friends that, that yeah. I hang out with or have a beer with or whatever, but the community, and you can probably attest to this, having a podcast yourself, the community of people you build around you has been, has, it's, 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 it's why I keep doing it. That's the meaning in it yeah. for me, really. I'll keep doing it um, because I love the relationships I'm making with, with you or with yep. a listener that reaches out to me or, or, or if I go on a bikepacking trip with a new friend or, or whatever, it's just, it's just kind of connecting everybody. And uh, what you were saying before about um, <clears throat> just, we have this device in our pocket, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I've, I've made it, one of my new intentions is as soon as, <clears throat> if I can, as soon as someone crosses my mind, 
I'm going to, if I have their number, their contact, it's so easy. I can DM somebody. I can LinkedIn somebody. I can Facebook message or something. I can text them, you know, just, just send them a message and just say, totally. Hey, remember that time on the blah, 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 when this happened or how's your family? How's your wife yeah. and your kids? You know, how, how, how are you, you know, just reaching That's out it. to people more. And I also voice message all the time now. <laughs> Which is like, Always. this is, it, it's a comeback. Like, to hear the warmth in somebody's voice, it, I don't care which emoji you use when you text, like it never conveys, like there's a lot of communication in our tonality and the voice that we use. Like it, it we can say something and it's write something down and it seems neutral. And when you say it, you feel the warmth of the person, the encouragement, the presence, the engagement of the person. Whereas, and, and I'm not knocking it like, if you're not going to, if you have no time to communicate because you don't have time to do a, a, a voice message or uh, calling someone, text them. Of course, it's better than nothing. Like I can find a way to have somebody cry via text and say, you know what, man, you matter to me. And uh, I was wondering, because I last time I saw you, you were going through a rough time. And so how's that going now? Like showing people that they matter to you and you are there for them. That's the basic of a, a secure attachment with people. If you can answer, are you there for me? And do I matter to you? And the person says yes to both of that, your attachment is actually secure, which is a good thing. Man, that, that just opened up a whole other can of worms for me is attachment theory. <laughs> I don't know if we have time to go into that, though. <laughs> I could talk about attachment probably for three, three days. On oh, this, my so God. That, well, we'll have to have another podcast. I, because I know that's a complex, a complex issue. That's stuff that I've been diving into lately, just with my uh, uh, like relationship styles and and what kind of attachment yeah. person I am. Um, but yeah, so just just the community side of things and when, <laughs> the, what I'm what I'm getting back, what I tend to get back is the same uh, warmth and care from yeah. from the people that and I, I don't know. I probably have a dozen people that I reach out to from time to time, old friends, new friends, bike packers, tour divide friends, just people I reach out to all the time. And it's, you know, they get back when they can. Sometimes it's not right away, but, but it makes, yeah, it makes you feel good. Right. I mean, it, it's, it's a bit self-serving cause it makes you feel good. Like you're, you're basically reaching out into the community and just letting people know that you're there. Like but, you said. And that's it. And, uh, and even mental health, people who help others and actually in the genuine non, it, it serves a lot on their own mental health. And it's not because it's not even because it's a selfish thing. It's much more like in our brain, we have mirror neurons, like mirror neurons. Essentially, it's you smile, I smile. You feel something, I feel something with regards to you. So we're not meant to, and that's how, and usually if you say something like you say, Hey, LP, I'm having a rough time. I'll say, you know what, Steve, I see that. How are you, you want to talk about it? Like we're built to be relational. That's how we survived as a species. It's not like, it's not magic because we've built bonds and we've taken care of those bonds or else our survival would not, would like, a saber to tiger would have his day with us. We would not be here. <laughs> like, so when I look at that, it's funny that 
even though we have all those tools for connection, we're still afraid to say to someone, you know what, I need help. Like, and probably all of us, we have, we have a cell phone, we could text people, we could reach out, we could say, but for some reason, there's a pride in an ego thing that emerges when it comes to ask for help. And most people would actually help us the way that as best as they can. And sometimes a therapist, a professional is not the person that you trust yet with your deepest wound. Sometimes it's the best friend. Like if we're going to, and shame disappears when we use empathy, when we use compassion, that's the cure for shame. We are, yep. Oh, sorry, I didn't, I didn't mean to interrupt. But I, I think too what, what um, I can't remember where I heard this before, but when you reach out to someone and ask them for help, you're actually mm-hmm. giving them the chance to, to make them feel good as well totally. about, I mean, that, that seems like my kind of self-serving as well, but it's, it's like most people would be like, if, if someone reached out to me and said, I need to talk to you about something, yeah, I would be honored that they even yes. thought to, to reach out to me, to ask me for my ear, not necessarily advice, but just to listen. Yeah. Um, that's what podcasting has done for me is it's really taught totally. me to listen better. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I'm not, I know, right? in my past, I was notoriously not a very good listener, but I think it's helped with that. But, but I think the idea is somebody you reaching out to help, you're giving them a gift. Yes. Right. You're, you're, you're letting them into your life in a way that, um, it's, it's just an honorable relationship. And even if you don't know that person totally. very well, and you'll, you'll, you'll be fucking best buddies. Like, after totally. something like that. And, what you've described, you've put the word self-serving, but that takes a lot of courage. Yeah, it does. Too. Like when, like, well, just the wait. word vulnerable. Yeah. Sorry, I was just gonna say you said you know, we talked about men sharing and and the idea of it being showing yeah. weakness, and it's like yeah. it doesn't show weakness. It shows that you're so brave for, yes. for to reach out to another person and to ask them for help or to share something with them. It's not yeah. showing weakness. It's showing courage and bravery. Totally, totally. Uh, if vulnerability is so weak, why does it take so much courage to show it? Like, and I, and I don't care. You can be as hardened as you claim to be, but if you think being vulnerable is easy, why aren't you trying it? If you're that courageous, why aren't you opening up? It's actually a protection mechanism. Like when we don't, and when we pretend, and when we rationalize, and and even compartmentalization. Oh wow, that was a tough word for me. <laughs> Putting into compartments can be good. It depends because if we use that, like we're not meant to use one tool all the time. If I use my hammer on my spokes, that's going to break my spokes. The hammer is not what the tool you use to fix spokes. So. When we have that aspect of putting into boxes as a default, then all those boxes, they're like mini pressure cookers. And we're walking around with a thousand pressure cookers who are about to blow 
if they have the, the too much temperature or, or a seal is breaking or something like that. That's the, still have the old image of my grandmother used a pressure cooker at some point and the <laughs> seals <turned. laughs> it went to the the ceiling. So I, I can remember. I think that that stain lasted for fifteen years. Oh, yeah, that's so funny. Yeah, I think when I use when I use that yeah, no, putting things into compartments. It was definitely to revisit later. Like it, I, yeah. it, my 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 thought wasn't to like to avoid it, avoid, to put it away and yeah. avoid it, but it, but to yeah. compartmentalize that. I think something else that's worked really well for me is um, turning off a lot of not- notifications on my phone on my device. Oh man, um, yeah, um, yeah. I just I don't. I don't need to know because yeah, it's the, so the triggering. The nuance that right? you brought, and you're right. Sorry, Steve. If I yeah, but. Uh, the nuance that you're bringing is actually that's why I didn't pick up on it earlier because the way that I what I heard when you said it is I want to learn to be still and not reactive, which is different. That's why putting it for later is not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, what I'm talking about in this moment is when we use one tool, uh, that tool for every sauce is not necessarily going to fix everything. So that's why I was saying like that gritty person was tough. It can be, it can be, if you're a wrestler, okay, then if you're a boxer, yes, you need to be tough physically. It's your living. And I get that. Some occasions necessitate a little bit more grit in that way. But most of our days, most of our moments in life, it's actually the opposite. We need to show courage to be vulnerable. We need to address stuff. And it's hard. That's why. That's why I went in the box the second time because the second example is much more when we avoid by using that putting it in a compartment. And so I'm glad that we could clarify that. Um, so yeah, so when we use defense and protection mechanisms like justification, avoidance, denial, like those systems, this feeds shame a lot. Like it does not help us. And the thing we're trying to avoid is not disappearing. Like the best way to treat mental health, depression, and anxiety is actually treating the situation that's provoking the anxiety, provoking the depression. Like instead of maybe sometimes trying to um, saying I'm right or justify, okay, I'm anxious, so it's never going to change. No, actually, you're anxious because maybe you're about to lose your house. Like, that's an important thing to address. If you change the situation, how can we fix that? Oh, I can sell my house, move in a smaller house, take the profit and do something else. Well, you've got a solution there. Anxiety was useful. But oftentimes what happens is we tie it to identity. We say, I'm a loser because I'm losing my house. I'm going to hide and go in shame mode. And then all that consequence about losing your house happens for real because you didn't address it or you didn't act up when it was the time so mental health especially for men we tend to avoid we tend to like yeah. let's wait later to work on the emotional part i'll, I'll grit it out sort of approach i felt a lot of that shame when i first got separated like just felt oh, like totally. man totally. i'm just another you know loser guy with a broken relationship broken family and I remember again, I reached out to a buddy and I just, I just sent him a voice message and I just said, man, I just feel, this is the way I feel like I'm just, mm. I'm a negative self-talk guy. I'm getting, I'm getting through it though, getting better, but I'm just such, nice. I just feel like such a loser. And I just, 
how could I have let this happen? The shame and the regret and the guilt. And then he's like, Steve, look around where you're standing right now. He said, at least 50%, if not more of the people that you see, men and women, are going through exactly yeah. what you're going through or totally. are going to very shortly. He says, totally. you're not alone in all this. Don't totally. feel alone. And then as soon as he said that to me, it was just like it clicked. And I started looking around. It, it's, it's like a different lens got put in front of my face. And like a different lens. Mm -hmm. I'm like looking around and seeing, you know, you know, that single parent and that single parent, you know, it's just like, yeah, I've never seen that person with another person. That's like, huh. You know, it's, <laughs> it's happening everywhere. And I, I think that's yeah. the idea of to reach out. Um, and also just, just to have that community because, you know, I'll, I'll reach out to, to, to someone and say, you know, here's what I'm dealing with. And, and they'll be like, Oh, I, I get you. I had to deal with that last year. This is what I'm dealing with right now. And then yeah. and you're not alone. You've got this, you've got this, um, partner in suffering. You've got, you know, yeah. you've, you've got someone, you know, to walk the path with kind of thing. And, and, and suffering happens and suffering happens to all of us. Like not one person on her will <laughs> like, we're all going to suffer at some point, no matter what class, no matter what demographic we're from, like we, we all suffer. Suffering is a universal feeling. So it's funny because when we suffer, we think we're alone. We sort of want to protect a lot and don't notice it. And, it's, and I don't want to call this selfish because I think it's a, a protection mechanism. And we're trying to protect alone but that's the opposite of what we need to do. Like being at peace and sitting with ourselves and being able to tolerate, like we were talking about boredom earlier and being able to sort of sit still is great. It's awesome. But also stillness and sitting still is good in relationships. Like people are great encouragers and most of us have suffered. If not all of us, the other part probably is in denial still. We can talk about that later, but <laughs> everyone suffer and breaking isolation. It answers those two questions. I matter to someone and somebody's there for me. Yeah. And, and also to have someone that matters to you, right? Totally. Like you matter to me and just having, totally. so it's not just, it's not a one way street, right? It's no. to, to have someone to care for, whether they're, you know, a, just a buddy or um, a good partner or wife, or just, just had to have that care for somebody. Totally. It's, it's, it means a lot. It's, and it's funny too. Well, it's not funny, but you know, all this, all this male stigma, um, and I, I don't like using the word toxic masculinity anymore. Mm -hmm. I kind of got mm -hmm. that from, from John when I was talking to him. He said, he does, I don't like, because I don't like using toxic. It's not toxic. It's maladaptive is what it is. Yeah. And it's like most, most men who um, reflect or vibrate toxicity, if you will, I'll use it in this yep. context, are they're maladaptive because they're full of guilt and shame and anger and whatever else they're dealing with that they haven't shared with anyone or talked to a therapist or a coach about, or totally. talk to their partner or their friends. It's, 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 it just, it's like, it just, it's a festering splinter in your soul when you don't address the things. And yeah, it totally. sucks. And it's, you have this wound, it's all pussy and it hurts <laughs> all the time. And yeah, you're going to be fucking pissed off all the time because you're totally, totally yeah. 
Like you're walking around with a wound that's not being treated and it is actually getting worse. So of course, you'll, you, the first thing we would feel is anger. The, the, the toe on the coffee table, that's the example. It's anger we feel when we hit our small toe somewhere. It just tells us something is overstepping a boundary. So when we're wounded this way, we need to reach out. And I, I like the nuance that you brought earlier because a, a true reciprocal relationship, both parties in that relationship can answer yes to both of it. Do I matter to you? And are you there for me? And you matter to me and I am there for you. That by definition is a reciprocal relationship. Sometimes, yeah, go Sorry, ahead. I was just going to say it's so counterintuitive because it, it, it's like it's exactly what, what you, when you're reaching out to someone, it's exactly what you're reaching out for. But, totally. but it's true for even, even me, I'm an, I'm so open. I feel like I'm just an open, very open guy. I don't think I've ever said to one of my buddies, do I matter to you, man? Like, do I, I matter to you? Like that's, that's not something that comes out very easily. Right. And even I for think me. we need to start saying it. We need to be comfortable asking that question. Do I matter to you, man? Like, we said way more stupid things than this. And that oftentimes we're afraid to look stupid. We are afraid that people will, will judge us. But actually you're coaching people by behaving the way that they actually need you to behave. When you say yes to vulnerability, you're saying no to shame. Like that's something on a personal level that we can do. It's something that's very actionable. It's doable. So yeah. What are, what are some of the most, I mean, I'm sure it's, it's so broad, but in, mm -hmm. in men in particular, what, what are, what's the most common source of shame for men? Do you think? Oh, that's a good one. Or can uh, you put a, can you put a finger on one? So uh, if I would to sort of come up with a cumulative of it, it's oftentimes, uh, I'm weak. That's one that comes up a lot. I'm not good enough. Uh, I'm a loser, which I think is kind of close to the I'm not good enough as, as a schema scheme. Um, and yeah, if, and when I dig down, usually it's, I, I feel like I'm not lovable. I'm not worthy of love. It's so funny. I, I was, I worked with my coach. I, I'm, privi <laughs> I'm privileged to have two coaches, Sebastian nice. Roland and, and Paige Royal. So I have a male coach. Yeah, a female coach, and I. Yes. You know, oh they, my God, that's good. You get a different experience, right? From from oh. from both. And with Paige, we did a deep dive into like we kind of went back, and I I I don't have a lot of, I don't feel like I have a lot of big T trauma in my life. Mm -hmm. I've got a lot of a lot of little ones, just a lot of yeah. little things that kind of knocked me around on my path to to become the person that I'm going to say I was, <laughs> you know, before I started working on myself more. But the th we. You know, she's asking me questions. I'm telling stories and blah, 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 blah. And she's, it gets to the end and she's like, okay, so there's, there's three things that I'm hearing. It's like, one, you're not good enough. Two, mm -hmm. you're not lovable. And three, mm -hmm. you're not worthy of love. And yeah. it's just like, it's just like, it hit me like a hammer. Cause it was like, um, yeah, I don't think I'm good enough. That's what it came down to was just that. Cause I, I'm, I'm a lovable guy. I think I'm lovable. And I'm nice. We're all worthy of love. Like, of course, everyone's worthy of love. So th those were of just course. like, no, I'm a loving guy. I, I don't agree. But yeah, I don't think I'm good enough. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and it, to, to have, so it's, it, it, you know, to, to, for that to be a common thing, I'm just wondering what, why men are feeling that way. Is it society now making us feel that way? Is it? Hmm. I think it's probably, um, like a great recipe or a bad recipe. It takes a lot of ingredients. So it, it is a combination of families, family of origin. And if, if you look at it enough, it, it, transgenerational wounding yeah, yeah. is there too. Uh, like generation upon generation upon generation um, that we don't realize that we're giving to our kids and everything else. Uh, society as well. Like it, it's funny, like one of the examples I, I would take with women is I, I showed them like a, a Times cover which is a legit magazine, not even a, like more of, of the objectification of women type of magazine. Like I think I have a copy here. Like I would take this magazine and show it to women and they would say, oh, it's, it's a great magazine. And like you realize that that person is probably the most perfect person to make that, that face right now. She's the, the perfect person to smile and do those things. But even them judge that she's not perfect enough because they photoshopped her face. Mm. Like it puts a standard on people. And for men, it's like we have those images of we need to perform this way in order to feel like we have value. Like we don't need to dominate that value. We need to be equal and feel reciprocal relationships. This is where it's at. Like our children, we want to have reciprocal relationships with that. We don't want to be this dominant of that or we don't like, and that's why also I tend to not like the toxic masculinity terminology because I don't think everything that's masculine is, is bad. Yeah, that's it too. It's, it's too much of a blanket like, term, right? It's too Ma- much of a blanket masculinity term. Masculinity is wonderful and it's needed in society. We need as well as well as different spheres as well as feminine. Like, we need the we need the balance, it. right? We need the balance. That's it. We need the balance, and and how are we going to change if we're always punishing? Like I would not do this to my children. I would not do. I want them to do this to their children to always punish in order to grow. It doesn't work this way. It's encouraging people. Like you need like ten encouragement from one. From one confrontation, if you want to keep a relationship going, so that's why the the masculinity. I'm careful when I use the term because if we're going to change as men, we need to learn that being masculine is not necessarily to be rough, aggressive, violent, dominating. It's actually to be sensitive, to be to be courageous, to be vulnerable, because that's what we need to be in a relationship. Yeah, trusting, safe. totally what are you offering people like are they scared of you well that's not good (laughs) unless it's somebody that wants to steal your bike (laughs) better be fucking scared yeah that's it sometimes it's useful like and also like if your child's about to run in the street you want to like you want to scare them so they don't cross the street in the car but there is function to that but it shouldn't be that the way that we approach everyone all the time. So when we talked about, and, and also for femininity, like I grew up in a house with girls and I saw that, like I was the only boy in the house. <laughs> so 
I saw how hard it is for them and how like physical image is so important and how difficult it was for them as well. Like, man, that's not cool. And I want to, I want to say too, and I want to, I want to couch this, what I'm about to say with, I, I am in no, I, I completely acknowledge how oppressed women have been like, oh, yes. right. I, yes. I completely acknowledge yes. that men are experiencing that same thing, whether we want to admit it or not. Like okay. when okay. I, when I'm ripping through, you know, scrolling through, through Instagram or something and I see some dude with like, you know, six pack abs and just like a <laughs> chest and, and it's like, it, it affects you. It's like, oh man. Totally. I kind of wish I looked like that or, or even going back even further. It's like those, those, those gender roles were defined mm-hmm. through mm-hmm. movies and television, you know, how the men are the, you know, uh, the dominant, you know, it's, totally. it's it was, it was the lead figure. Yeah, the, it was the always, person that yeah, exactly. Yeah. The, the patriarchy, if you will. So, yeah, so yeah. I don't think men have experienced near the same amount of oppression that women have, no. but we've been influenced in other ways that over generations have, like you said, have made, you know, some men, um, yeah. maybe, uh, I'll say less evolved, I guess, yeah. you know? Um, and it, and to link to that is not to minimize it, it, it. Nobody wins here. Like in suffering, nobody wins. Like men and women have been abused men and women and a lot of different uh cultures and backgrounds and have been abused like sexual orientations I, and gender sexual and, orientation yeah. like everything there's been a lot of abuse i think at some point we just need to start talking about the abuse rather than comparing between suffering across the board because that's a, my goal is not to diminish because I'm talking about men. I can tell you that in the men's group, I was doing survivors of sexual abuse. Still the worst stories that I've heard in my career. Like the, the atrocities. And one example is a, a young male gets raped by a woman. And they, they call it losing their virginity. Like having an erection is not necessarily a, a willingness to have sex. when they would go through this oh yeah sorry and it was confusing for a lot of them because when they would go through this rape actually they thought that because they had an erection that they said yes oh interesting that's a very specific thing to them and also in my groups the youngest group member oftentimes that was it like the, the the other guys would say the youngin, the youngin was forty years old. It was the first time they would he would start talking about it, all the way through because they didn't want to seem weak. Never talked about it. it's traumatic, very traumatic, sexual abuse. For men, it, it's like, and it, and again, it's not a competition in suffering. I just wanted to highlight that part because I think sometimes because of the silence, because of we don't want to look weak. We don't address these issues for men as well. Mm. Rape and abuse is not okay for no one, Mm. including little boys. Mm. So when we looked at that, the socialization aspect of it, like men way later will be vulnerable and talk about traumatic Mm -hmm. abuse because of that desire to not show 
we used to call it the John Wayne syndrome, the tough guy. So, and again, and I've been a therapist for women who have been through rape and trauma as well. And it's, it's very similar, like the, 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 the abusers that are close to the family and train the kids in a lot of those subjects, very, very difficult situation. So both generalization, I, I don't want to generalize everywhere. So it's important that we talk about also men who suffer in silence and have been through some of the trauma that we're talking about elsewhere. I appreciate you bringing that up because I think it's difficult to talk about in this climate. You know, mm-hmm. that, that, you know, men have gone through some pretty fucking horrendous things as well. You know, young yeah. men, children and, and the fact that to, to add to that, the, the stigma of, of reaching out for help, then you carry that. I can't imagine carrying something like, like that for decades. And then, yeah. you know, you, you, most of your life has passed you by before you've reconciled it and addressed it. It's just, it's yeah. really, it's, it's sad. It's really sad. The average age in that group was 65 years old. Wow. And those men have been carrying that their entire life. Their entire lives. Had families, contributors in our society, not evil people, left alone and never talked about it because they never felt safe. And they, they were afraid to be stigmatized, judged, belittled, or blamed which blame has no function and has no function apart from displacing discomfort. Mm. When we blame others, it tells as much about ourselves as it does about the other person we're blaming. It, it does not mean that we should take away responsibilities from people who perpetrate stuff. Though. Mm. It just means that we need to take action. Blaming is, is just another form of venting. And it does not promote healing quicker, actually, because we're still stuck in a loop, a self-perpetuating loop of anger being fed by blame, shame, and isolation. So, yeah. Man, the human condition is so complex. It is. So complex. Totally. You you must find a lot of meaning in, in the work that you do. I do. Like, for real, it's an honor to sit with people in their toughest moments in life and to actually listen to them and encourage them and sometimes be that person that they first share this traumatic experience with. And my goal for people is to always break that isolation, to start talking to people they trust slowly but surely. And that you don't need to over-disclose. You just need to show vulnerability. It's, you don't even have to say everything that you've been through in order to start healing. Mm. And, and that's, that's something we're afraid sometimes when we suffer is that we have to share every little detail. No, you still have your dignity. You get to choose what you share to someone. And it does not promote faster. There's no, there's no shortcuts here. Like if you give everything, sometimes you feel shame because you've shared too much. Mm. And that's the, that's the result of past and sometimes wanting to please other people with making sure that we tell them everything so they trust us. But 
no like there's a process like allow yourself to keep choose whatever you want to share in a way that is going to give another person a chance to respond in a way that's not going to feel uh, shameful or in invalidating or like being belittled or dismissed or whatever like sometimes if we choose small bites it's okay too we don't have to give everything and i think that idea of being validated you know to to share even just a little bit and for have to, to have someone respond to you either yeah. just with understanding like just man i can't i can't believe that happened to you and and then sometimes the, sometimes the most validating thing to say to someone is i've never been through this i don't know how i would yeah. go through this but thank you so much for trusting how, I, i'm getting emotional now but how do you how do you keep your shit together in a session like how do you like how do you, this question yeah like you 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 you're obviously i could tell you're a deeply loving caring man mm -hmm. you seem very stoic in a lot of ways um, yeah. oh you, you made a grimace like eh, maybe not so much <laughs> <The best. laughs> but it's but it's like if i were like even now you're just telling me you know that experience of being able to connect with someone at that level makes me makes me well up in emotion like how do you how do you keep it together Hmm. Or do you? As as a third, no, I do. I do. Um, it depends on the relationship. If I'm being quite honest, um, I keep it together because I actually value people's trust a lot, and I value being of service. So that's two of my whys, essentially, why I do this. So. To be to find value in people where they think there's nothing. To be able to like go dig in someone and say, you know what, that thing you think is shameful is actually very beautiful. Like you having tears because I've shown compassion to you. That's awesome. I have I have no judgment there. That's the thing. And if I have a judgment, I tell the person, you know what, this is my opinion on this. But it, it doesn't mean because I have this opinion that you cannot change it. And that's real openness. It's not, oh, you should think this way or else you're close-minded. That's very close-minded, actually, as an approach. You're actually literally telling someone that you know better than them. I don't believe I know better than my clients. I just believe that in some areas, I'm good at doing like emotional management. Well, that's a good area of mine. I mean, it's like riding a bike for me. Like for and I enjoy it. I enjoy people like taking that first risk, seeing that they're not going to be punished, and saying that you know what, well, I'm going to meet you with compassion. That's that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to encourage you when you're not encouraging yourself right now. That's for me. There's nothing more fulfilling in a job. And I live a balanced life. Like, I know that my first priority is not my work, it's my family. I always, like, I'm 100% for that. And work is a thing that I get to do. And it, it's part of who I am, of course. Well, part of who I am. My work is an expression of who I am. It's not the other way around. It's not my word that gets to dictate who I am. 
it's who I am and it, it is expressed. So taking care of myself is important. Making sure like if I were to be more emotional than you, when you tell me something, you would probably close it down. You would shut up and say nothing else. Because I wouldn't want to hurt you. I don't, yeah. yeah, I don't, I don't want you to. And also I would be that. saying to you, I, I, I can't take it. Yeah. <laughs> what does that say about me? Like, how do I, what, what are the tools I need to be able to be better in that? Not better. No, um, actually, I just, see, some, sometimes see, I wish I could just like stand up and be there and not, and not have to emote so much, but I just can't. But fucking the best it. way to, to not do it is to do it often. The best way get it out of my system is that what you're saying? Yes, totally. <laughs> but in a in a good way, like because for me, the fact that you cried when I showed you more compassion, or just giving you a sample of what I say to a client, for me means that you were thirsty there, and I just helped you. Of course, of course. Uh, th uh, Thirst to quench, quench the thirst. Quench the thirst <laughs> for compassion. Interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, you know what I've I've discovered too. You know, on my like, I, I always joke that I'm halfway dead. Right, I'm 52. You know, <laughs> I'm halfway there, kind of thing. But the more people I talk to, um, there's like eight billion people on the planet, and everyone is mm. living has their own experience. But also through that, everyone has their own um, trauma for lack of totally. a word, everyone has experienced some level of trauma, right? And it's everyone has a trauma. And we just need to learn to talk about it with each other, right? It doesn't mean that it's stress disorder, but everyone has a trauma. Like everyone's been something that shocked your system, like surprised your system or whatever type of word you want to put there as a descriptive. But I believe everyone has a trauma somewhere about something, even in, in even upper class people like your parents who work 120 hours a week, being alone, having a nanny that's supposed to be the replacement of a parent. Some people, it works fine for them. They develop healthy attachments there. John Bowlby, who actually observed attachment theory, was raised by his nannies <laughs> way more than his parents. So. I'm, but this I'm not talking about Bowlby, but this is why Bowlby realized that we can actually heal a lot of the past and the present by having reciprocal, uh, secure attachments with people. And this is not a personality thing. It's actually a dynamic thing between two people. And it is changeable. So when I talk about this, like this example of human beings being rich and being happy is such a stereotype. It's not true. Like you can have a parent that's absent because they're working all 120 hours, but they bought uh, an Audi to their kid. That kid is no more happy than a kid that your children that you would go and have that tear and say, you know what? I'm so proud of you. Like you're, you amaze me. I'm sorry, but that's four Lamborghinis right there. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> Yeah. It's, it's funny. I saw this thing on, on Instagram and it's so funny, you know, social networking can be such a, so, mm. so bad. Right. 
but there was <laughs> yeah. there's a lot of it can really be good and bad it can be good and bad but uh, you're right there's so much way too much disclosure on social media yeah and but this one thing that came up was uh it was a dad and he uh he has this thing and I, I started doing it with my kids and I'm getting a really good response, but it, it's like, if I have them individually and I think about it, I'll just like stand in front of one of them and I'll hold them, hold their face. And I'll just say, <laughs> I love you and I'm proud yeah. of you. And yeah. I'm so glad that you're mine. Yeah. And I can't wait to see what you're going to grow into. See, I'm getting totally. totally. <laughs> I love saying that to them though, because <laughs> you know, I've, I've told other people about that, about, about me telling them that. And they said, man, wish my dad told me that when I was totally, kid, you know, like I just, I want them to know that at their core. And right now they kind of, yeah, I know dad, they kind of roll their eyes and, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and it's like, no, I mean it. I really mean it. So I, I just, and what age are yours? Uh, eight and what? 10, just eight and 10. Yeah. Yeah. So they're, they're starting to show the sassiness there. You can <laughs> yeah. go in the eyes and everything. My eight year old girl, especially she's going to be a handful. <laughs> and you know what? That's called drive. Yeah. She just needs a guide. Yeah. And you're the, the, you're the utmost best guide for that. You're a driven person. Yeah. Wow. Like, I don't feel very driven, but. I realize that, that privilege that we have to be guides to our children and our friends, our communities. And leadership is not only the prime minister, or the president of the United States. Leadership is being somebody in your community and seeing people and realizing that, you know what, what I do matters. Like, it's not what I say, it's what I do that matters more. People can listen to words all the time and they forget about it. But the way you behave in a consistent way tells people if you're safe. Mm. Even today, probably I did the same thing five or six times where I talked compassionately to you and talk compassionately about my clients and even men i rose up an issue that i think we disregard and because we're focusing on the men who are abusing rather than the men who are suffering and that actually makes a difference i was consistent with that i'm like you know what this is happening too <laughs> this is happening too and your daughter she's gonna get the best coach for drivenness i hope so, so she's going to be creative yeah I just if you choose to. to see her as a creative yeah. and builder rather than somebody who's pushing against you like you're going to be like the win in ourselves right there yeah like i i encourage you and every dad every mom out there and sorry if i'm talking about that it's just that i've been working with men mm -hmm. and it's sort of a a passion project of mine, but I've worked with more women than men, mm. <laughs> if I'm being honest, <laughs> because women come to therapy more willingly. Yeah. yeah. And I'm glad that I want, I want to encourage women continue like working with therapists is awesome when it comes to, and even working with men therapists, when we need to heal like toxic masculinity that we talked about earlier, like more aggressive men, having a healthy, positive, therapist or somebody who's a, a great healthy man in your life can actually help with those wounds mm. those wounds of those men who were actually abusive and were actually rough but anyways if i come back to i want to encourage people like if you see that your child your child's going to push back 
let's find the gold in that. What would that help your daughter later on? Like if she has a, a, an obstacle, she'll, she'll go through it. And it's just that we're, when we're on the receiving end of it, it's not fun. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's, it's them exercising their boundaries, right? It's them yeah. testing the limits. And, and, you know, I, I just, I want them to, I want them to, as long as they're safe and they're loved yeah. and, and yeah, as long as they're safe and loved, I don't, I don't, I don't care what they do, you know, really. I yeah. just want them to do whatever drives them and whatever they're passionate about. Totally. Totally. Like they're going to have their own snowboard camp of champions story as well. And the role is just to be a landing spot when they need it. To be a landing spot. So they can trust us when they can, they've lost a friend or they've been in arguments and, or they're, they're having difficulty keeping motivation with something. Sometimes we're great uh, timekeepers for them. <laughs> so, yeah, like my daughters, there's, there's one who's more sensitive and there's one who's more driven. Total daughters. I'm trying to be the parent that they need. And <laughs> when it pushes back because she shares her, her daddy's uh, pushback attitude, I remember remember that I used to push back as well. And I, I asked myself that question, what did I need back then? And I remember that my daughter is not me mm. because I'm parenting that person in front of me, not me as a child. Even though I, I asked the question, what would I have needed as a child, as a driven person? It's much more, I would have said probably more encouragement. Mm. That would be, so that's what I give my children. But at the same time, I remember that my children are not me. No, it's funny. They are and they aren't like, you know, yeah. like you, you see so much of yourself. 50%. Genet <laughs> Genetically yeah. 50%. Yeah. You see so much of yourself <laughs> in your kids. And like, I know with my boy, I resonate so deeply with, with him just cause I know all this totally. stuff. He's super sensitive and we're very much alike. And he had some behavior things going on at school the other day. And I said, you know, I had them on the weekend. I was like, Jasper, come in. I want to talk to you about some stuff. And we got in the bed and it's like, first of all, I'm not mad. I'm not mm -hmm. mad. I can't be mad, but let's talk <laughs> about this stuff. Let's just talk about why you're, why you're doing this and why you said that. And, yeah. and, and just, I, I need to, I just want, like you, you talked about a landing spot, right? having a landing pad. It's like, that's mm -hmm. really, that's a really good analogy. Yeah. I want, I want to set up this space where, yeah, if they have a hard time at school, they can come and talk to me and they know that I'm not going to, well, why'd you do that? That was stupid. You know, I just, you know, I want to be, totally. I want to be, I get it. I've been there because I have, we have whatever they're going to yeah. come to us with. We've been there. Right. That's it. It's just trying to, to connect with them at that level and not tell them, Oh yeah, I've been there, done that and be dismissive. But just no. share that that yeah, I remember when that happened to me. And this is kind of what I did. And I don't know, what do you think about that? Like just talk to them about it, right? And and asking questions, gold. Yeah. Like, how do you feel about this? And sometimes they don't respond. But at least they know we're asking. Yeah. And we don't give I I honestly think we don't give enough I mean not we, but the collective we, I think we don't give kids enough mm -hmm. credit for their 
for, for especially eight and 10 years old, their reasoning ability and their intelligence, they see so much that we don't see. And, um, they're so quick and we don't give kids enough credit, I think for their, for their opinions. Totally right. Totally right. And I talked about the, the researcher earlier, Dan Pink, when he talked about regret, he says that when we look at the, the brain development at eight years old, is where it starts to actually be a useful type of regret. The regret is starting to be used as a tool cognitively. So we reassess the situation. We think how we would like to react next time and we adapt in this way. So between six and eight, there's a a gap there. And eight years old, you're right, you hit the nail on the head. They start to reason and use and march much more on a moral level that we that we did before that. So this, this, we need to give children credit. They, they are sponges. What, and they all brain, they can adapt. They, they, we need to treat them with respect and love and, and presence. And they, sometimes the best thing to do as a dad is to ask forgiveness to your child. Like if you, you want your children to learn to, to forgive others, which is an essential tool in relationship. Like how many relationships could we save if both parties would ask forgiveness or at least reconcile in the true way rather than say, oh, I'll forget about it and never talk about it again. How many couples would do better if they would learn this basic skill giving forgiveness and asking for forgiveness as well. And that's the thing in, in psychotherapy and psychology we talked about a lot. It's not only religious, it's actually useful in relationships. So I think religion co-opted the term for so long, but let's be honest, it is useful in relationship. And I think the, the other thing that, that happened to me once with one of the kids is we got up in the morning and my daughter was like, I don't want to go to school. I just don't want to go to school today. And, and it, you know, I asked, why? Why don't you want to go to school? I just don't want to go to school. I just said, you know, I acknowledge you. I acknowledge that you don't want to go to school. And you know what? I don't really want to go to work. <laughs> I really don't want to go to work. So I, I know what you're feeling. And they actually, thanked, yeah. they thanked me. Yeah. Yeah. She, she's eight. She's like, thanks for acknowledging me, daddy. And it's like, absolutely. I get it. I don't want to go to work either. I'd rather sit here and make slime with you, to be honest, than go to work. Like any, any day of the week, I'd rather do that. And see, like they, they resonate to that because they are social beings like we are. And it's a great opportunity. Imagine that your dad actually saying like, I see you. I get you. I'm there for you. A bunch of us, like, wow, we would be crying. We would be, like that's a normal thing. Like crying in the in in a joyful, much more vulnerable way. But yeah, imagine that. Like your dad actually acknowledges. Like this shouldn't be a luxury. No, that should be the basis. Standard, be the, standard issue. The standard. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Standard and I operating. think <laughs> standard operating procedure, like <laughs> for real. Uh, but at the same time, yeah. So yeah, sorry, I, I went on a tangent on this one, but yeah, I, I do think like if we use perspective thinking and empathy the way that it's intended to be used people will probably re- resonate a lot more to this. 
It's been a great conversation, LP. Oops. It cut up a little bit. Okay. Yeah, we're cutting out a little bit there. Um, I really appreciated this okay. conversation tonight. Um, it was so yeah. good to learn more about you and what you're up to. And I can really tell that you get a lot of meaning out of helping people and helping men and women, you know, address their totally. trauma and just trying to show up better and live more joyful lives. So, um, cool. where, where can people find out more about you? So they can look me up on, uh, overcomecafe.com. Uh, that's my website. On social media, uh, it would be LP Landry underscore Overcome Cafe. Uh, that's on uh, Instagram. And Louis Philippe Landry or uh, LP Landry probably on LinkedIn if you search my name. Uh, so that's the main places they can find me. Uh, yeah, On my website, you can see how to book a meeting with me, but also you can have access to blogs, my podcast as well, Overcome Cafe Tales of Mind, Body, and Relationships and a bunch of other resources as well that I forget. There's a cycle, there, I, I write a cycling blog and a wellness blog at the same time. So that's still uh, a great resource for everyone to go check it out in case there's something there. Right on, man. I really like how this came together. I had a great time yes. talking to you. Yeah. And I'd really like to stay in contact with you. Totally. Me as well, Steve. I appreciate it. Like, I, I, it's an honor to be a guest on your show. Oh, I appreciate you. it so much. Appreciate like, it. Yeah. Right on. Thank you so much, Steve. And next time it'll uh, we'll talk about attachment. Totally. We can talk <laughs> for three days, so let's book a lot of hours on let's this. Let's just one. book it right now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. All Steve. right, brother. Well, have a good night. You too. Okay. Bye now. Bye. I want to thank LP Landry again for his time and thank all of you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Um, such an enjoyable chat with LP. Um, not only just the the parallels that we had through our lives and how we could just relate to one another, but then also all the wisdom he shared um, um, about balance, about keeping keeping our the components in our life um, attended to at all times. I think it's super important. One of the most probably important topics that came out of that conversation, I think, but but also just for for uh, men, I've I've been doing it a little bit more lately. Um, just I reached out to a couple pretty close friends, and you know I said, "You matter to me, dude. <laughs> you do." And I think the more we feel, um, you know, tended to by other people, I think it it means a lot in our lives. And so and I've I've put the task this task out so many times, but do it right after this podcast. Just reach out to someone you care about and tell them that they matter and uh, it makes a huge difference in people's lives and also yeah talk gotta find someone to talk to about your stuff uh, whether it's a friend a close friend your partner if you have a great com communicative um or a great connection with your partner um just just talk to someone you have to get it out um holding shit in is just maladaptive and um so much stress can be relieved so yeah therapist just get out there talk to someone about whatever's going on in your life and try to reconcile that stuff so that you can let go and move on. So yeah, I hope you dug the chat. Uh, again, I want to thank uh, dynamic cyclists for their support. Um, Ryan Draper at cycling one one for his support lakeside bikes for their support. Um, please visit and follow rolling Dell bikes. Um, RD cycle on Instagram. Um, he's making amazing shit. He's going to be at the Calgary handmade bike show 
That's on November 3rd, and it runs from 5 to 9 p.m. It's going to be the thing here. Um, there's Toolshed Brewing will be there, um, uh, free admission. Um, there's going to be frame builders, handmade bike bags, live DJs, food by Notorious Pig, to Notorious P.I.G., and yeah, beers by Toolshed. So it sounds like it's going to be awesome. And you know what? <laughs> um, you're going to see a lot of Canadian makers there. And I think that's what's so great also about this community is, is we've got so many people making amazing stuff by hand. And uh, we don't need to, to go. And, and they're not generally that much more expensive than buying something you know, uh, pre-cut that you may have, may get in your triangle the right way. So yeah, in terms of like getting custom bikes built, you know, I'm all about rolling down bikes. And uh, in terms of uh, getting bags built, there's makers all over the place that can help you with that. So, um, oh, I also want to thank Redshift Sports for their support of the podcast. Um, I was blessing my lucky stars that I had a suspension seat post yesterday. There's a, a few sections of a washboard. You know what I find with that post is... When it gets uh, rough in the washboard along flats, sit harder in it. <laughs> You're so used to getting up <clears throat> to absorb the washboard, but more pressure in the saddle actually absorbs the, sh the shock a lot better. Anyway, MB40 is going to save you 15% at Redshift Sports, so don't forget to check them out as well. That's all I've got. Um, I love you guys. Thanks for um, supporting me. Thanks for listening to the podcast, and uh, it was really good to connect with you today. So until next week, keep the rubber side down. Thank mm -hmm. you.